This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that wonders whether there'll ever be a blue tomorrow. 500 episodes done, but no, we're not done yet. So here we are, back again for another dose of the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, thanks for all your great messages on reaching 500 episodes, by the way. Much appreciated. Uh, hope you enjoyed the two extra shows last week. Now, as ever, in the weird world of no football, there are more questions than answers. With hundreds of deaths every day in this country, the perpetual newsmongering on when football might come back seems somewhat irrelevant. But we cannot ignore that football can't go on without revenue, especially when it's reported that some clubs are leaking 9 million quid a week. The reality is that to stave off financial and legal responsibilities, the Premier League need to keep up the pretense that they are doing all they can to bring football back and a conclusion to the season. However... The public and the players' health has to come first. Whatever happens, I just cannot see football coming back quite like we knew it before, especially with a new economic reality caused by a global recession. We can say this, but the clubs just can't. A blue tomorrow, Chelsea fancast, 501. I don't know why, it feels like ground zero. It seems like we started all over again, that the previous 500 episodes was just a hallucination, Jonathan, a bit like Dallas. In a, in a weird sort of way, but how the devil are you, old Bean? In which case, I have to say, introduce myself to you. Hello. Who are you? I'm Jonathan Kidd. I'm a fan. I've, how do I know you? I don't know. I've latched myself onto the programme in some way. <laughs> I don't know how I've done it. So. Were you not? Did you not? Were you not fired from the Chelsea podcast or whatever it was called? Yeah, I was. I was. Oh, I was that's asked, right. I was yeah. asked to leave, and I was fired from being Stamford the Lion as well. So okay. all, all in all, firing is a kind of something I'm quite used to. I'll, I'll try not. I'll try not to make it a hat trick. Could you possibly? I will try my best. You could, if you liked. I'd be used to that. You know? No, no, no. It, the show wouldn't be the show without you. Um, oh. And uh, there we go. It's kind of in this funny kind of weird post-500 episode, post, well, kind of mid-lockdown period of Chelsea fancasts. Um, I, I, fear, I feel that we're, 
we're kind of getting back to a semblance of normality. Last week was just mental with 10 of us in there. So I'm really I'm really glad to have a quiet, calming, sagacious voice of reason and wisdom. The you the wonderful you got Clayton instead. Yes, very good. <laughs> no, I got the lovely Clayton Beerman. Uh, always a delight to see you, my dear boy. Yeah, and I, I, this is really quite nice, actually, the, this whole Zoom thing, because we've gone from not seeing each other to seeing each other. We've gone from Skype to Zoom, and I like it. It's very good. It's the future, isn't it? it I'm is delighted the, by it. I, I, mean, I mean, basically, this is the third Zoom thing that I've done today. Has it? You, you've done meetings? I've done, I had a meeting this morning. I gave a lecture at lunchtime, and, and now here I am again. Who was that? Was that a law lecture, or just you just told people? It, it was. Uh, it was a training lecture for some young lawyers. Okay. Excellent. Well, there we go. Nothing about law, but I just thought I'd give them one anyway. Yeah. You were, Mrs. I have to travel on the underground, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Well, I've forgotten. Right, 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 right. Okay. On the show tonight, we're going to ask, what will the players' pay cut mean? Uh, apparently. Uh, they are discussing with the club a 10% pay cut. And uh, how will the pandemic affect the transfer market? And when is football likely to return? And does it actually matter? Um, I, I have a suspicion, and we'll talk about this in a minute, no doubt, that the Premier League have somewhat misread the public mood. Uh, anyway, and uh, so, you know, we, we have, I feel obligated to talk about Chelsea and what's going on now, even if there's not a lot going on now, but there's some meaty issues to get our teeth into. Uh, but this is what I'm really looking forward to. I hope you lot at home are. If you're not, I shall be coming around to bosh you on the nose because I think you should love this. Um, uh, in part three and uh, part two and three, we're going to continue our 50 Years of Chelsea series uh, where we look back at uh, a season... Uh, from Chelsea's past, going in order. We started in 69-70, and we are continuing on uh, from then. This this week, it's 1971-72, which was a peculiar, peculiar season. We just won the Cup Winners' Cup in 71, of course, in May, which we told you about last week. Uh, and actually, and I've done a bit of research, you'll be delighted to know, because, of course, I'm so young, I wasn't there at the time, but uh, these two gentlemen were. But actually, there were hopes. There were serious hopes, and there was talk of Chelsea making a full-on uh, tilt for the title this the season. Treble, the yeah, treble, Yeah, indeed. But, 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 by the end of the season, it looked like Chelsea were about to implode. And I don't want to, to, to kind of, you know, ruin it all for you, but that's exactly what happened for about 26 years. But uh, we'll talk about 71-72 later in the show, which I'm really looking forward to. And, of course, after all of that, we've got a few emails to read, some crackers this week. Uh, not many, but the ones that we've got are absolute quality. Now, as ever, don't forget... Uh, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea High from Fancast, where, of course, you can join in all the chat by posting on the live chat page. And, of course, you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast during the show and tell us what, or any time, really. It doesn't have to be during the show. It can be any time you like. Tell us what you think about the games and anything else. Right, uh, after this very short interlude, we will be talking about pay cuts. Yes, 
pay cuts, pay cuts, pay cuts. Um, yeah, so basically, chaps, um, it says in the news that the boys are all considering uh, taking a pay cut, uh, something like 10%. Now, of course, the Premier League uh, were trying to enforce the clubs to take a 30%. Uh, that was the PL, the Premier League's recommendation. Apparently, uh, Marina and the and the management staff are also uh, thinking about uh, a pay cut. Um, I mean, the reality is at Chelsea, it's uh, I can see the sense in this. I mean, their wage bill is now two hundred and eighty five million quid a year, which is the sixth highest in Europe. Uh, so you can understand why they're wanting to, you know, keep the keep a bit of a lid on costs. Kante's the highest earner at two hundred ninety grand a week. Um, Jonathan, first of all, I mean, how do you feel about it, I think, is what I want to start off with here. Well, they they earn such obscene amounts of money that I think they should all give 10% of it to the NHS anyway. Um, uh, um, I think the dilemma they've got is, of course, that Roman is is the head, isn't he? And he's they can see how much money he's made of and they've signed contracts and they're thinking I've worked this out that this will you know I can open uh, I can give money to a university back from where I live so perhaps they're trying to be uh, ethically responsible in some way but um, it it strikes me that they should just they should they should accept a reduction of some sort just in case the club were to fall apart I mean other clubs it's completely essential that there are pay cuts because they're all going to go into uh, they're all going to go bankrupt. Um, but um, I think looming is Roman, and they think, well, it, it, when this all comes back to normal, he'll, all his money will just increase and he'll have enough money to pay everybody. So uh, um, uh, you can see how easy it is not to want to give their money away. But as I say, they, I personally think they should be giving money to the NHS anyway, which I think some of them probably do secretly, and they're not telling us. Um but uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I suppose part of the problem is is once again is we don't know how long this is going to go on for, and uh, they probably don't want to make a decision to take a pay cut now because it'll only be for three weeks or something. Or um, perhaps they're thinking, well, why do I need to? Because we're going to be back training in a month. But uh, but they're not, are they? Of Which course, we'll get onto later. Of but... course, they're not. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, they're now saying that um, that uh, there's no evidence that if you've had it, that you can't catch it immediately well, again. We are going to get into the whole, when the, yeah. will they be back in a minute? So let's just part of that. And I just want to bring Clayton in, actually, because there's another yeah. side to this, which I've dug, I dug out. I, the beauty of um, having less to do on a Sunday now means that I actually bother to do some reading around all this rather than making up as I go along, which I normally do. But Clayton, there was a fascinating article in The Independent today, which was basically much to do with... Uh, sponsorship, and I've long felt that a lot, as I said in the intro, the reason why the Premier League seem and the clubs all seem to be acting like King Canute, saying, "Well, it'll be back next week and everything will be back to normal," I think is the huge pressure that they're getting on their financial and their legal responsibilities, and that's to do with all of their contracts, whether it be with players, player contracts, whether it be with the broadcasters, and also the interesting thing, which is what the I was talking about, was the sponsors, <laughs> and they believe that. Many of the sponsors have actually started to, you know, you, you've got a legal background, so this will resonate with you. But they've begun to consult with a lot of their lawyers, the sponsors have, in order to try and claw back money from some of these deals or even terminate some of the contracts. And, of course, the reasoning for this is that they're not actually getting, the, you know, what, they're pay, what they paid for, which is exposure through football being played. 
Um, and the interesting thing that I, I noticed, and this might have, a, have relevance for the timing of this stuff, is that normally a lot of these force majeure uh, clauses that they like to call them are usually trigger between 30 and 90 days. Now, of course, we haven't played any football for 45 days. So I think it's a rather interesting time. So, you know, given given where we are, do you think this is a bit of a wild conflation by me? Or do you think that the fact that there might be pressure coming from sponsors, broadcasters, etc., etc., be having something to bear on the finances of the football clubs? Um, I, th- I think that despite what contracts currently say and force majeure etc um without going completely lawyery because it's not my my field the force majeure thing uh, a lot of the clauses won't have an ins- any sort of reference to a pandemic they'll have acts of god and terrorism and all sorts of um natural disasters and what have you um so it might not be quite as straightforward as that. But I think that there's going to be a lot of, of legal action because there's going to be a lot of desperate people, a lot of desperate companies trying to save themselves to either get out of contracts, to you know force other people to do things. And I think that in terms of the law, I think it's going to be quite difficult because... This is a situation which has not occurred before. And this is, you know, people are going to be starting from scratch. And if sponsors are going to say, well, you haven't performed your contract, then Chelsea will basically turn around and say, well, we couldn't perform our contract because the government stopped us doing it. And yes, I know force majeure, that's one of the things uh, that when you're prevented from doing something for circumstances beyond your control. But I think... I think the the one thing that is going to be prevalent is that people are just going to have to wake up and people are just going to have to be nice to each other. Now, I know in big business that, that's a bit of a, a fantasy, but people are going to have to work because it's just not going to be the same. And when, you know, people are looking for the same sort of money that they were getting before, it's not going to happen. So if a sponsor wants to say to Chelsea, I'm exercising my force majeure clause, Chelsea's lawyers are going to come after them um, and will fight them all the way. And they, they may be burning bridges. They may be doing something which is so stupid because in the short term, yes, they're going to lose out. But in the long term, if you, sort of, if you have a contract with Chelsea... And you've got a sponsorship deal with Chelsea, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world. And you want to start a fight with them. You might win that. What is it they say about winning, winning the battle but losing the war? So you're, you're wagging your finger. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think, I think what we've got in all aspects, Premier League, government, fans, sponsors, broadcasters, as a humongous, it's either a massive game of chicken or the biggest Mexican standoff the world has ever seen. It's well, ab- I, yeah, I mean, I, I just bring this up because I know that, that, that sort of in, the, in, in sort of the world that I live in, there's a lot of speculation about the fact that everybody's going to have to be grown up when it gets back to it because people aren't going to be able to claim 
what they were entitled to because people just won't have the money and they're going to have to say, fine, we'll pay you back, but it won't be for a while. And that's just the way the world's going to have to operate. We're going to, it's going to be a bit bizarre. You know, we're going to live in this sort of barter type uh, environment. Yeah. I mean, well, well, let's move this on because, you see, I think what we're touching on here, JK, is the fact that, well, you might have a different view. But, you know, my own feeling is is that whenever football comes back, and we will get onto that in a minute, the world will be a very different place. And it's really interesting that I think, you know, as as so often happens with dissemination of information to the public goes, it tends to drip feed because they believe that we're not capable of hearing the awful truth all in one go. I mean, the government doing much the same with their announcements about the lockdown and stuff. But I'm going to read you out a couple of things that I thought were very interesting. One of them's from Damien Camoli. This is really about transfers, by the way. Of course, he used to be the director of football. He's the director of football at Spurs. Well, he used to be at Liverpool and Spurs. And he says, an agent was saying the other day, only three clubs in the Premier League will be able to spend money. If that's the case, I think the transfer window will be very different. We might see swaps, we might see loans, and we're going to see a massive decrease in transfer fees and activity, at least transfers involving money. And then Greg Clark, uh, who's the uh, you know the head of the FA, says, we face the danger of losing clubs and leagues as finances collapse. In the face of this unprecedented adversity, all the stakeholders in the game, from players, fans, clubs, owners and administrators, need to step up and share the pain to keep the game alive, which is kind of uh, Clayton's point. Time is pressing as football burns through its cash reserves with no sign of yet of a resumption of the game, uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the bottom line is is that there's a shitstorm about to fall. And I, 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 the reason I'm really keen to talk to you about this, Jonathan, because you and I have been doing our nut about all of these, I think, agent-fueled stories that come out in the press about so-and-so, Sancho being bought for £150 million, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, all this nonsense. I just cannot, for the life of me, see this happening when clubs uh, stand to lose at a minimum 150 million quid they're not going to be cash rich when we all finish this they're not going to be spending that kind of money on transfers surely there's no idea when in any of this will end so uh, exactly but also i just think in social media i think everybody's just got fed up with it this 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 idiocy of invention that seems to be i was disappointed today to see ollie harbord comparing um chilwell and tellez as uh, as possible left backs for Chelsea, and yeah, I can see that they're stuck for stories, but I'm afraid I wrote back a, I wrote back a note saying I don't think anybody cares, Ollie, because you know, but, <laughs> you know but he's he's obviously got his money from from the Athletic, but we're slightly going into it's such idiocy to making making any kind of suggestion as to what's going to happen. But yes, absolutely, Chester, the. If clubs have no money, they can't buy anybody. So, and and also, and if they're trying to work out when the transfer transfer window is, they can't even plan for that. We don't. We, they can't even work out whether the end of the if there's going to be end to the season. They can't. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm worried that that this will dribble on, particularly if they do say, well, there's an end to the lockdown because we need to avoid some kind of dreadful. Um, uh, uh, dreadful riots on the street, or even a shoed fort, shoed fortage. Was that Schadenfreude? <laughs> food shortage. 
you could see that they, the government then would have to say, OK, we're going to have to get people to go back to work in order to maintain the, the economy. But you won't see me out there. You know, and if they say, yeah, we can all go and watch football again. Well, well, um, I don't think football will be played in front of supporters for ages because supporters mm. won't want to go back if there's a possibility of being infected or reinfected. So, all right, how on earth are they then going to get the players to play behind closed doors? Well, that have to be, you'll all have to have a test to show that you haven't got it. All it needs is for immediately one person to get it. And that's the end of that. That's the end of the, the team. So well, I, 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 it's, it's a complete mystery to me as to why on earth we should be debating who is going to go no, to no. Chelsea. Well, quite. But look, I just you, you segue beautifully into this, um, what's actually going on with the Premier League in terms of, you know, how they see see the football coming back. Because so they had the meeting last Friday, didn't they, Clayton? Uh, and this is very interesting because at the moment, you see what they're saying is uh, June the 8th is the best case scenario of when the Premier League season could restart. Although they concede that that's ambitious. And of course, a lot of it will depend on whether or not the lockdown is lifted on the 7th of May. Because then they need three weeks to train the players, apparently. And there are 92 games left to play. So they reckon they can do it in five weeks. But if you read, if you drill down to what they're saying, you just realise how borderline insane this all is. Um, Because training would be controlled to make sure players were kept a safe distance apart from each other. Now, apparently, Germans are doing this already. One option is for players to drive to the training ground in their kits so they spend less time in contact with their colleagues. I mean, if you're talking about things like that, you've clearly lost the fucking plot. what are you going to play football a yard apart from each other? Well, exactly. You know, I've seen plenty of teams who do that. But anyway, I mean, really what they're talking about, I think they're really clutching at straws here, I think, because, you know, number one, they're talking about playing it behind closed doors. Uh, and secondly, you know, they've conceded the fact that even if you did do that, at least 200 people are needed at every game in order for it to carry on. So really what they're saying, if I if I just skim through all of this, is that, you know, and I think this is really key, actually, Clayton. Even in this scenario, where they're not inviting the fans, and we can discuss the abhorrence of all of that, even playing it behind closed doors, it's unlikely that they can do that until the the country is being tested in the amounts that, A, it needs to be, according to the World Health Organization, and B, they are singularly failing to do, both here and in the States particularly, you know, so you know, until they can do that, it ain't coming back, is it? I I think that the, any sport in any stadia will not happen until there's an antidote, because people are going to be scared. And you've said on many occasions about our ageing supporter, you know, profile. And, you know, I'm one of that ageing supporter profile and I certainly wouldn't be comfortable in going to a stadium full of people. I, I think, I don't know why they're doing all of this. I think they're doing this because they think that people expect them to be doing stuff. You know, from my perspective, if the FA turned around or the Premier League turned around and said, look, we're not deciding anything yet until we know when things are going to turn back to normal, until the government lifts lockdown, there's very little point in us discussing this because we can't set out a timescale for what we're going to do. And if they said that, I wouldn't say, oh, for God's sake, get off your asses and think about it. I'd say, fine, that's a sensible 
you know, that's a sensible measure to take. And you, I'm reading um, that some some lunacy, I don't know where this comes from, um, about the fact that what they're saying is to get the season finished quicker, to get all the games played, is to put all the players in one place and play all the games at Wembley or St James's you know, Park. And I'm just thinking, what a good idea. Let's get everybody really, really close together. You know, let's get everybody staying in hotels. They're talking about the rugby Premier League. They're, they're basically saying play all the games at Twickenham, put all the all the players in hotels. Brilliant idea. You know, so they can all catch it and they will get it themselves. Just insane. I was listening to um, the radio on Sunday and Tim Henman was basically talking about the fact about because he's on the, the the Wimbledon committee. And he made the point that uh, although they were quite slow in, in sort of following suit to everybody else and calling it off, one of the things that um, that they realised is that they had to have 5,000 people a day working at Wimbledon to actually make it work. Now, 5,000 people congregated together, it's never going to happen. So 3,000 deaths. Yeah, it's just it's just insane. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're talking about. I mean, you know, the, the rest of us who are living in normal land are just waiting to get the all clear to take the first step towards normality. Any sport is not going to take place with crowds for the foreseeable. And I don't think um, that it will happen until there there is an antidote, to be perfectly honest with you. Or, or basically testing of everybody and like they're doing in, in all the other countries is you get something on your phone which says that you are healthy and not infected and you show that to gain access. Yeah. What's to say that people Couldn't won't then fake those? Oh, well, of course they will. People are like that and then yeah. somebody comes in and they're infected. I just wanted to see another Chelsea game before I die and then mm. infect, you know, another... 3,000, well, 20,000 people. If I went to a Chelsea game uh, now, uh, I would wear, I'd like to wear one of those enormous has outfits. You know, No, you wouldn't. You'll just wear your Stanford the Lion kit, mate. That would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be perfect, wouldn't it? Perfect. I mean, here, the here's layers a th- were impenetrable in that bloody costume. Yeah. Here's, if you had a virus, you'd seen sweated out, mate, so you'd be all right. You reckon? Um, yeah. Chidges, I mean, here, go, go on, mate. Advice. Yeah, Dr. Chidge, mate. Um, here's the thing, old, old Bean. Um, I think what we're in, inexorably concluding here is that, you know, the two things that we probably love most in the world, but perhaps don't include you in the latter, JK, but, you know, the two things I love most in the world are football and pubs, which seem to go together perfectly. You know, I, I love I love the yeah, yeah, I know, I know, the I know. area that I, I thought you were going to say football and cricket. Well, okay, and well, okay, football, cricket, and drinking, basically, which often revolves I was around so pubs. Prime for this season, let me tell you, I was like a coil spring for the cricket season. I was everything was working. I'd been exercising perfectly. I thought, yes, uh, what will I do? I'm, will I score a fifty for the first time in thirty years? I thought. Anyway, given all of that, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think. I, I mean, you know, I think football and pubs will probably be the or sporting events and pubs will be the last two yeah. things. To, to reopen, even if we if we reduce the uh, constraints of the lockdown, um, 
we know that playing football, I mean, they may well end up playing football behind closed doors when it's safe to do so, which is the whole testing argument. Uh, I think until we have a vaccine for this thing, things are just not going to get back to normal. And that's going to take at least a year to 18 months from what I understand. Um, it's, it's, you know, I think we just need to get our heads around that concept. So I think the, que- the question there really, JK, is, and, and Clayton, to both of you actually, but JK first, how, how do you feel about this reality that we might not have football for a year to 18 months? And of course, don't forget, there may be a second wind of this thing in autumn. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you just deal with it, don't you? You just have a sane response, which is, and also the other thing is I don't want to die. So uh, um, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die either, Clayton. You're both old, and I don't need you yeah, or want you to I, die. I've got, and I've got lung problems. I'm the last person. I'm so scrupulous. Uh, uh, whatever I do, I'm fa- I'm paranoid. I, I I went out yesterday training in a mask, which of course got unbelievably wet and horrible. And I cycled and uh, just did cycling sprints and came back and and I've got wipes by the door of the the office that I'm I'm secreting myself in and made sure I wiped the the, the knob the doorknob just in case anybody uh, with with the virus had attempted to open my door while I was the chances of that are slim but it's this uh, it's this is I'm just well um Henrietta hasn't quite grasped the whole lockdown thing as my girlfriend because she phones me up to say supper is ready because my office is 50 yards away from where where I, where I live um, will I come and get it and then proceeds to hand it to me from about a foot away. And I go, no, 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 you're not supposed to do that. No, that's not the way we do it. No. Ah. And uh, <laughs> I said, no, you put it down. And I then approach you and I take it away. I said, it was as, it's as if we're, you know, we're ransoming something. That's the way you deal with it. But uh, um, uh, the, the reason we, I, I've been isolated is because my daughter exhibited all the symptoms. And we're not then sure whether she had it or not. Because once again, we'd like to have some testing. We'd like to know because I therefore may have had it or if I have haven't had it. I don't know why, because I've been in the same environment or perhaps I have. I don't, and then perhaps she has. So uh, it's 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 it, it's it induces paranoia. But the kind of paranoia that I'm pleased to have. No, I will deal with it. You know, I'm afraid my my uh, I don't know about you, Clayton, my my um, schooling, the discipline in my school was such that. I accept what happens. I rail against it, but I go, okay, yes, you're offering me uh, football or death. I'll take um, uh, a football, or, foot, sorry, football or non-death, I should say, um, death at football, or and I'll take, I'll take living, football or living. I'll take living. Thank you very much. Well, that, so there I, is. You'll just sorry. deal with it. Yeah, I mean, Clayton, same, same question to you, really. I mean, I, I really don't think it's going to be back for a very, very long time. Um, so, how do you feel about that? I, I think it will be back. I think they will play it behind closed doors after a period of time. But I think as fans, we just won't be let anywhere near it. A bit like JK. I mean, I didn't go to the same uh, school of thought as JK. In terms of, <laughs> I'm much older than you, Clayton. Well, not much. But 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 the, the point is that, you know, if somebody said to me, you can stay at home on your couch watching telly for seven weeks or you can die... There's, there really wasn't much of a, a contest there. Indeed, I, I, I find the whole um, the whole thing upsetting in terms of um, not being able to watch sport, and it's it's not only football. I mean, Chelsea is obviously dear to my heart, but it, it's anything. A friend of mine said to me over the weekend. He said, this is bloody perfect if there was sport to watch on TV. Yeah, and exactly. That, that, that's the great irony. Um, but, but you know what? Yeah. There is. 
there is because I, I just rediscovered my my folder of DVDs. I can go back. I've got DVDs from well, I found the earliest one I found was the eighty eight eighty nine season. So I can do what we're doing on the show, just relive a whole year of football when I feel like it. But I, I just, it's, it's funny actually, because I was thinking about, so we don't know how long players are going to go without playing. So perhaps they will start playing towards the end of the year. But I was I was thinking, and, and sorry to everybody who's tuned in to listen to Chelsea talk. I was thinking about Jimmy Anderson, the great England mm. bowler who's going to be a year older yeah, and he's right at the end of his career. And I was thinking about footballers as well, yeah, who basically are near the end of their career and then might miss out. I mean, I know that people are playing longer, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's sad, but people will adjust because it's, you've got to. There's nothing else that you can do about it. You can't Wouldn't change it. would be like at the end of the Second World War when people just... They'll play regardless because everybody else is a year older. They'll just they'll select them. Yeah, probably. I mean, there is Jonathan's Jonathan's table table tennis player, and she locked five years off her off her age. Yeah, she presumed the Second World War hadn't happened. But there is a yeah, but there is there is a precedent. There is a precedent, Jonathan. You're right, and there is the Second World War, and I mean. And yeah, Clayton and you are both correct. It's really really sad. I mean, if you think about. Donald Bradman, for example, you know, he lost yeah. five years to yeah. the war. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Compton, I think, as well, was yeah. affected, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Keith Miller, uh, football, Tommy Lawton, you know, some really famous, famous yeah, football. It affected Dennis Compton's football career as well, didn't it? Because yeah. he was playing for Arsenal. I think. But there is a precedent. Shit sometimes happens, and yeah. the shit has hit the fan with this one, and there isn't much we can do. I mean, look, the other thing I am I am slightly worried about, actually, because I think, you know, we can all accept, we don't like it, but we can accept the fact that life is more important than football, or living is certainly more important than football and cricket and so on and so forth. So we accept it. Um, but, you know, we do it in the hope that there will be something to come back to, because I think that, that hope uh, as human beings, is, that's very, very important to us. Now, the only person that I have seen who's talked with any sense of reality about this, is the absolutely wonderful Carlo Ancelotti, who I love and adore anyway. But he said something really interesting, which also kind of feeds back into the insanity of what the Premier League and the clubs are kind of up to as well. But he said, footballers and coaches will earn less and tickets will cost less because people will have less money. The economy will change at every level and we have to get ready. Uh, and he reckons talk of wage deferrals and matches sandwiched into a condensed period over the summer will ultimately prove futile. And he predicted that football is set to go from boom to bust before our eyes. He says, I hear about cutting salary. I'm really tempted to do the Carlo Ancelotti voice, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I, I hear about, I, I just raised the eyebrow. I said, I hear about cutting salary, suspension of payments. They seem to me outdated, untimely solutions. Soon the economy will change and at all levels. TV rights will be worth less. Footballers and coaches will earn less. And tickets will cost less because people will have less money. Let's get ready for a general contraction. I have him absolutely 100% correct. But here's the thing. You know, we've moaned enough on this show, haven't we, JK, about football being overinflated, players being overvalued, the cost of going to, be, to football being far too expensive. You know, I'm a great believer in history and realignments. And maybe what we might see as a result of this is a huge realignment. And we might get back to a game that was closer to the one that we used to have, where where it wasn't all about branding, it wasn't all about 
global companies. It wasn't all about overpaid footballers. It was about the football. And maybe that's something to cling on to. And the other thing in all of this, I wonder if Chelsea are actually in a really good position here because they've got so many homegrown players. So if there is a realignment, maybe they might just be okay. No, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 um, it, but it, it, won't it also be interesting to see whether who leaves according to when they, at the end of their contracts? If if this just carries on, if there's no if if uh, there was supposed to be some means of them extending their contracts for this season, if the season is cancelled, they've got no reason to be staying. So they could just. They'll, it'll be terminated. They go off. Therefore, there would be a place, as you say, Chidge, for a youth to come in. And uh, uh, I mean, I'm also I'd be intrigued to see whether it means also that um, a lower level team could actually make make its way back into the Premier League, um, who, who just has a has a terrific manager in a way that we haven't seen since Clough, that we haven't seen for all those years, where still an investment was made. I know it's tricky, isn't it? Because um, it's all to do with the better players. Uh, and you just wonder, if they get rid of financial fair play, um, it may just be that, once again, we have the best players go to the remaining, the top the top few who can afford them. Um, so it may ultimately, you might have them and us even worse. And I don't Well, that, I've heard that. I've heard that, that the more likely scenario is that those who have already got all the money now will get richer at the expense. Because, I mean, there there are a lot of Premier League clubs who, you know, there's a reality, Clayton, here that a lot of them might go tits up with all of this. If we don't play football for a year, year and a half, they cannot survive. If they're losing, you know, as I said earlier on, nine, nine million quid, they might all stand to lose 100. There are Burnley, the likes of Burnley, West Ham. There are clubs like this who might go under because of this. So, you know, the rich will survive, but the poorer clubs might not. And that's, you know, unconscionable, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we may get to uh, an NFL-type situation, whereas you've got the elite 15, 12 clubs, and the rest are just scrabbling around behind us. Because, you know, we, we've seen with Berry um, and a couple of other clubs who've been clinging on by their fingernails, they're not going to survive. You know, the, the fact that we have 92 or we've got 91 at the moment, Lee Clubs, is bizarre, to say the least. And you've got to think that there's going to be a top tier, a tier underneath, and then you'll have to think that it's going to go back to the olden days where those teams are going, you know, are going to go part time again. And people are going to have to be working. But the market will still be there, though. The markets will still be there for the Premier League and even the... the um, oh, absolutely. The because, and, you know, the, it's watched by millions and millions of people in India. It's watched by... That's yeah. where they make... That's why clubs get so much money is because of the world's success, the world stage. It's sold to so many people. So it depends what, what they're being offered, ultimately. If a, if a television company says, actually, no, we haven't got any money, we have to pay you less, fair enough. But surely the it'll still say say the same in a hierarchical way. Yeah, but not Premier not League underneath. I'm, I'm talking about underneath. No, no underneath. Absolutely. No, I'm talking about the top the top few as as all. No, I, listen. It, it's still a product that everybody wants, yeah. and you have to yeah. think that a product that everybody wants that hasn't been there for eighteen months is going to be premium. Oh, 
phenomenal. Yeah, but but also, once again, you we, we said before, take World War Two as the example. Millions and millions of people wanting to watch sport after the uh, after the secession of hostility. But just going back to what you were saying, Chidge, about us being in a in a better position because we've got lots of youngsters. But you look at those youngsters, and and was it Tammy was holding out because Callum Hudson Odoi got such a good deal? You got to think that Billy Gilmore is going to be really. You know, if he continues as he did before we stopped, he's going to be. I don't know what his contract situation. I know it was extended recently, wasn't it? So we've got these players, and and yes, we will be okay. But I don't think that um, our wage bill is going to be that much less because if we want to keep these good players, if they develop to be as good as we think they are, um, I think who's the, the, so Tammy hasn't signed yet, and there's one other has Reese signed a new contract. I, d- yeah. I, don't, I think he might have done, yeah. Yeah, so I think he did, he did, yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah. So basically, we've got Tammy and maybe one other who haven't yet signed, but yeah. I mean, but I think the the key thing, though, mate, is that you know, it these clubs, all of them, you know, have to survive. We can't we can't survive on a diet of Chelsea playing Man City every week. You know, the whole reason why it works is that there are ninety one clubs, and you know, I think I think a lot of them will go out of business, and I think some Premier League clubs will also go out of business, and I think. If I was at the Premier League now, what well, can't remember the guy's name, Richard somebody, the new guy that's taken over, um, who's a bit of an idiot from what I understand, allegedly. He's a wide boy. I get the impression he's a wide yeah, boy. Yeah, I've met him a couple of times, not that impressed. But anyway, if I was running this thing, I would be planning for this. I would be saying, we need to get together. You need to realise that when we come back, like Carlo said, we are going to be in a very, very different world. And if you lot... You know, the, the key thing now as football clubs is that you survive a bit like us you know by behaving ourselves and not going outside the main important the most important thing is that you survive because if you survive we can then carry on perhaps in a very different way perhaps structured in a different way perhaps financed in a different way but if you don't survive we can't even have that discussion Chidge, if, if by any chance uh, I, I take the second world war as another um example here um when the war was being waged uh, there were less fixtures and players went to whichever club was near to them. And of course, Chelsea won the wartime FA Cup as a consequence because they had a fantastic Gets Millwall. series of players yeah, play, playing for them. Well, you wonder if by any chance large numbers of clubs go under, whether they'd have to then say which haven't gone under and you therefore, I don't know, pay a... Like a draft way. pick. Yeah, you pick people to create a league that becomes competitive. That yeah. might be an option. So you then have strange clubs that have actually managed to be successfully um, still existing find themselves in the Premier League and the, in order to get the, the competitions back, which is what the television companies and the Premier League want, of course. Yeah, so, it's going to be very interesting. I think there's a, there's a long way to go yet, but uh, as I Richard said... Richard Masters. Richard Masters, yeah, thank you. Well, I, I, I hope that they are thinking about this because, uh, as I said, I think I think football, like a lot of other businesses, are facing a huge existential threat at the moment. They really are. Anyway, um, we're going to go back in time after this break. Um, before we... Yeah, it's slightly, slightly like the, uh, the Twiglet Zone, as JK was alluding to. Um, before that, uh, I need to give a quick plug to something that is timeless. See what I've done there? Um, the wonderful, wonderful uh, CFC UK fanzine that uh, both Clayton and I write for. 
Um, obviously, you can't get it on match days, and obviously Dave is trying to make that survive. We're all still writing for it. We've got a, a penning another piece um, uh, for this Friday. I think it's a JT special, actually, uh, without revealing too much. But anyway, you can still get it, uh, and again, it's important that that survives too. Uh, it's very easy to do so. You can get it by post um, very easily. You have to pay £2, which includes first-class postal delivery, uh, and you send uh, your address via email, and you can pay via email using PayPal. But you send the email to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk, uh, and I think that's the same applies if you're in the US, although there are also various contacts out there, such as on Twitter, at cfcukusa. Um and North America generally. And I do believe, although Bonnie Rig Blues is in the house at the moment, I think in Mixler, but you can also get them on eBay. I think Tim was getting them on eBay. So there are ways to get them. Uh, please support them because, you know, it's massively... It was the last two issues, Chich, I think Tim put them on eBay. I'm yeah. Like they're still there. Yeah, I think he did. So there we go. You can still get CFC UK, and I commend you so to do. Now, after this very short break, as I said, we are going to go back in time because we're going to carry on our... 50 years of Chelsea series which is uh, just so much fun to do um, where we go back and we look at a, a season we started in 1969-70 the year Chelsea won the, the FA Cup because of course that was 50 years ago and we're going on each one since then and we're now up to 1971-72 and we'll be talking all about that after the break Real fans Real opinions I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chels. Footballfancast.com right, Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stanford Chidge. I've got Jonathan Kidd in the house as ever. And the absolutely lovely Mr. Clayton Beerman. Good evening. All right. Now, uh, in a minute, we're going to crack on with this uh, 50 Years of Chelsea, which, as I said, is is so much fun to do. But before that, I have a very special announcement to make. You may recall on last week's show, uh, we were talking about Dane, the newest Chelsea fancast recruit, saying that he had put up for a competition um, the uh, Chelsea shirt that they introduced for the FA Cup match against Nottingham Forest uh, back in January, which is like a an homage to the 1970 FA Cup final kit and he had one of these going spare uh, with a number nine on the back paying homage to Aussie and uh, he put the competition up on Instagram and he has and he has randomly select he has assured me he put all the names into a hat and he picked one out at random and the beautiful thing about this is this has nothing to do with me I didn't pick it so you can't come back at me and say cheese cheese why don't you pick me my my response was so much better I this has nothing to do with me so blame Dane that's all I'm saying blame Dane anyway Dane has picked out a winner and the winner is Lauren Broadwater and she is at Lauren J Broadwater on Instagram so congratulations Lauren uh, no doubt Dane will get in touch and we'll figure out a way to get you the shirt. But well done for winning the shirt. So there you go. Now, uh, ironically, of course, as everybody knows, Chelsea were wearing a uh, not dissimilar kit uh, in the League Cup final in 1972, which, of course, is something that we're going to talk about now because that's the year we're going back to, 1971-1972. Um, just as a quick kind of intro into this, uh, well, as I said actually earlier on in the break, and Jonathan and Clayton, of course, were old enough to be around then doing this rather than me, but... 
I was I was doing a bit of reading on this, and I was staggered to find out that Chelsea genuinely were were considered, and I think actually some of the players and and Dave Sexton really thought that they could go for a, a, a title challenge at the start of the season. Um, let's be honest, the core of the sixties team were there. They had a they had a lot of the old guards still there: Bonetti, Hollins, Harris, Osgood, Boyle, Hudson, Houseman, and Cook. Uh, Webb, Dempsey, Baldwin. So the the bulk of the squad was still there. Um, the interesting thing was that uh, much of Sexton's plans uh, involved Ian Hutchinson partnering Aussie. But of course, Hutchinson then went on to miss the season through injury. And I think if one goes back, uh, you know, if one reflects on that, one can see what a big blow that actually was. Because I think that led to a whole catalogue of other issues but the other thing i mean basically to cut a long story short i'm going to start with you clayton we we had a really appalling start that season so having had all this optimism uh we we basically i think we had three defeats and a draw to start the league campaign so basically the league campaign there we go we lost uh three nil to arsenal first match of the season up there lost three two to united at home drew against man city two all and then lost two nil away to everton and Clayton, from what the reading I've done, the, the biggest criticisms were coming in for the likes of Charlie Cook and Peter Osgood and Hudson, uh, not least Aussie, who got transfer listed in August by Dave Sexton in a fit of rage. But apparently, uh, they he well, Alan Hudson had got married that summer, and I think that they were over-celebrating the Cup Winners' Cup win and, uh, and were really, really unfit. Basically, that's what I picked up. But they had a very poor start to the season, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting the trajectory of the season. I mean, it was a, a it was a dreadful start. I mean, I can't. When people talk about having a chance of winning the league, what you got to remember is then there was never a chance. I mean, mentally, you couldn't actually get your head around the thought of us ever winning the league. I mean, did did you feel like that though at the beginning of the season? No. No, John, I, I just just quickly, Jonathan, did you feel? I went to the three nil game, the Arsenal game, with my hopes high, thinking that this was going to be a great, this was going to be a great season for them, and went went away with my tail between my legs. They didn't last long then. But, but this is, I, it I was mean, so I, dreadful. I, they were dreadful. The first <laughs> four six games of the season, it was like watching a bunch of old men. I remember it. It's my my enthusiasm was completely punctured and i have to say that that i find the whole process of worshipping osgood i've always found terribly difficult because he was a very filthy was a filthy player and i know he was dealing with filthy center halves but he was he was petulant and and egotistical and arrogant and he would disappear from games completely and this was the worst season for disappearing and then he would come back he scored what did he score 25 goals or something this season. he scored 31 goals 31 this goals. season yeah. but that was later on this was big at the beginning sexton absolutely got it right to to put him on the transfer list because he wandered about in this game in particular i was taunted i remember i was sitting with an arsenal mate about how completely awful this the chelsea were they were all unfit Oh, Hudson was just it was wandering about this slightly fat bloke. You know, you just thought, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? I mean, but he was a great player. This is what was so... Then he'd come back and they'd be wonderful. They then ended up having a, a run later on, didn't they? We'll, we'll, we'll get into that we'll in a minute. There, but, but, I mean, it was so typical 
of watching Chelsea. You think, fuck yeah, we're going to... What, this last year, we're Cup in this Cup. I know they finished sixth, but yeah, come on, come on. And uh, my enthusiasm is great. I mean, to be fair to them, they played Arsenal, Man United and Man City and Everton, all of whom were top teams. It's almost as if... Almost no, as if the, three, three, three title winners in the last four yeah, years. It's almost as if the fixtures people have gone, let's stuff them. You have to remember, of course, you're dealing with a Chelsea who were considered the dandies of the King's Road. This is a label that was still going. They were like still a music hall joke for some people. People wanted them not to succeed, as they've done under Abramovich. People are resentful of the area. People are resentful of the of the image Chelsea have got. We are Chelsea and Chelsea's style, Jonathan. Indeed, indeed. And well you and I know that. Clayton knows that. We all know that. <laughs> but you know, somebody up north is gonna go, you know, fucking Chelsea, fuck them. You know, kick them. Fucking kick them. Yeah, bastards. And and bastards. And and, and so Ever- Everton were a decent side, very decent side. Man City, um uh Tony Book, um uh, Colin Bell, Colin Bell, Franny yeah, Lee. Still, you know, did, uh, we did very well to beat them in the semi-final the year before of the Cup Winners' Cup, and that was a sex. And I remember being being very t- tactically canny and actually sitting back and hitting them on the break and not playing their usual flowing football. Um, uh, the Gunners were, were had won the won the sudden double the year before. So yeah, three 0 fair enough. But it was abject, an abject sudden performance at the beginning of the season, and. Uh, and I flitted in and out of the season because I was in um, uh, I was in the rugby team. I was then in the football team. I was in the squash team, and I was in the the rugby fives team. Anybody needs to look that up. And then um, veering into the summer with the cricket team, but that wasn't the, the same. So in a sense, you know, there were there were games I was going to miss. But my dad still had his season ticket, and and when he didn't go, um, uh, which was a lot of the time because he was away, I, I went and, and watched. So lots of these games. I watched from the old East Stand, and we're going to get onto the whole ramifications of the old East Stand. And what no, the last the last year of the old East Stand, and also and also the North Stand. Where well, we'll get we'll get to that. We're going to get to that. Yep. We're get to that. Yeah. Read the fucking script, no, mate. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just because <laughs> that's a real hilarious story. I could I forgot all about that. But anyway, let's park it because I don't want to yeah, reveal yeah, it now. Yeah, yeah. Clayton, um, you know it, it's very interesting when you go back. I mean, I, I have to say I've drawn heavily on Tim's fantastic Stamford Bridge is falling down book, which I know you were today. Jonathan and I were clearly reading the same thing at the same time today, which is hilarious. But well, no, but he, I, he gets something wrong, though. He gets something well, wrong. yeah, we'll get on to that, because yeah. I'm not entirely sure, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, I think one of the key themes early on, and, and, and Jonathan, I'm going to make him go potty, so I'm going to like park him over there for a minute and talk to Clayton, so otherwise he will just spontaneously <laughs> combust, because every, every time I've mentioned this, he just almost explodes. But... There was a very interesting thing going on. Uh, the sub, the subtext of this, Clayton, is I think always has to be put in the context of the fact that they had planned to redevelop the stadium. Now they had planned to do it this season, but it got delayed by planning, transport, and financial issues. Um, but clearly, money was an issue, and for a side that was supposed to, which had an excellent squad, one of the best squads in the country, no doubt, there weren't that many youngsters coming through which was a bit of a faux pas. But there seemed to be, you know, Sexton's two things. One, not having money available to buy decent players. And two, uh, getting fed up with the fact that, you know, the uh, the, what, the drink and dolly bird culture. So, you know, they they, they too many creative flair type players. And there seemed to me to be a bit of a move from a creative side to a workmanlike side because he bought in, he clearly didn't rate Derek Smethurst, who basically... Got the boot fairly early on. Good. He bought he bought Chris Garland. 
yeah. from Bristol City and Steve Kemba from uh, Crystal Palace. Yeah. Now, the, the interesting thing, you know, Kemba, you know, there was a lot of conjecture at the time. Had he been brought in to replace uh, Alan Hudson? Why? Hudson was younger than him. Or Charlie Cook, who was fat and, and hadn't turned up that season as well. And and yet, we also had five existing strikers. And Garland came into a side with six strikers. But he wasn't a replacement for Hutchinson because he was a different kind of player. So it seems to me that the whole transfer policy was a bit screwed up, basically. Yeah, it's quite funny, actually, because you, you think about it in, in, in context. It, it's sort of a bit like um, recently where we were buying the drink waters and... Um, yeah. Uh, Fullback, whose name has completely gone out of my head now. Um, obviously, completely different context, but it 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 is obvious that that money was a big problem. But I think the thing to bear in mind in those days, and the the people who were absolutely brilliant at doing it were Liverpool. Is it in the pre like sort of from one season to the next? They only went out and bought one or two players, and they went out and bought the best, and that's how they. Obviously, this is slightly before their dominance, but that's how they built up. And there weren't wholesale changes like there are now. I mean, if there were two or three players that came in, that was something big. The the the, the thing about the, I mean, this is in in many respects the the whole sort of not the start because I'm sure it happened before then but as far as we were concerned this was this was player power you know Aussie and Hud were the were the were the glamour boys and they were the antithesis of everything that Sexton wasn't Sexton was this straight-laced guy who was a really nice man who basically wanted to play football in a certain way he was a fantastic coach Great tactician, wasn't he? Great tactician. Yeah, brilliant. As he proved when he left us and he went on and did yeah. brilliantly at QPR and then at Manchester United. Yeah. You know, he, he was a he was a fantastic coach. And you know, we had players who I mean I love Dozzy. Hundred percent agree with JK though. He he was and lazy. Be. Yeah, I, I I think I said on my uh my one man thing with you that my dad said he never does anything. All he ever does is score. And he, he says he spends most of the game on his backside. And there was an element of that about him. But he was so supremely talented. But if you drink, I mean, we, we now know, if you drink as much as he did, allegedly, uh, as much as Huddy did, it was going to change their, the, the way they played. And they obviously weren't going to be able to give as much. And there was obviously the preseason was was not good, and you can just tell the way the season started that we were in a mess. And it, it, I mean, it's you know, it, it, even though Chris Garland came from Bristol City, it was quite exciting, and and he and he sort of scored a couple of spectacular goals. He wasn't necessarily what we needed at the time, but he wasn't good enough. Yeah, and hang on, hang on, hang on, one at a time. Yeah, my memory about Steve Kemba is it, it, he was actually much sought after at but the Kemba time. Was good. Yeah, Kemba was a good you player, know, and but wasn't the, the the main sort of the worst thing to happen was that Kemba came in and then Hudson got pushed out on the wing. Yeah, which is basically was was not what was required. 
Um, and- they did have a lot of injuries, Clayton. They had a lot of injuries that season, which didn't help. So oh, he was having to p- missing Hutch for the whole season was a massive. But, but people were picking up in Aussie was getting injured, Baldwin was getting injured, McCready was out. I mean, there was a lot of chopping. And just reading up on the season this morning, yeah. I'd forgotten that that actually, you know, and it's really interesting, isn't it? How how history always repeats. We, what we tend to always remember very much are the results. Because that's what really matters. But we tend to forget the the context here. And, you know, a bit like uh, earlier on the season this year, we were getting a lot of injuries. And that affects results. And Texan was having to put square pegs in square holes. But I don't think he helped himself with some of those transfers. Now, the other interesting thing that I, I read up on was actually that, you know, he'd done, you know, he, he, he'd strengthened a front line that already had five strikers. He strengthened a midfield that was our strongest point, which worked really well with Hollins and Hudson working together Hollins perfectly in tandem. Well, he did, he did, didn't he? But the issue was that we had, an, I mean, there was a lovely thing in, in Tim's book, I can't remember the paper now, but the, the bigger issue was perhaps the defensive vulnerabilities. Uh, Harris's distribution, who went on to have quite a poor season for his standards. Eddie Mack wasn't sharp because he'd been injured for most of the season before. Mulligan was fast, but you couldn't tackle. Johnny Boyle that pace. So there were issues to address defensively, which he didn't address at the beginning of the season. Anyway, I thought it was it was um, it was no coincidence that um, they came into their own run about November, didn't they? When they had this huge run, undefeated run. It looked as if they'd all got fit and they'd all got to the right weight and they'd wasted about eight weeks of uh, of the season just developing into the, into the team they should have been in August. And if they'd all come back fit and had a decent pre-season, they would have been uh, up in the top three. I think they were always about seven or eight points behind, weren't they? Similar- well, JK, they, they lost six games up until uh, the 16th of October when they got beaten by Arsenal at home and they lost one game for the rest of the season. Yeah. So, yeah. absolutely right. Um, now, one of the key things, this is where I, I have to take a step back because I know you're going to explode. Um, the season before, Keith Weller, who we'd bought from Millwall, um, was our top scorer. I think he scored 18 goals and, and was a great player, well-loved by all the Chelsea fans. Um uh, Sexton was adamant that uh, Keith Weller was not for sale and yet he played only two games that season before he was sold to Leicester for a hundred grand which is what we'd paid for him uh, about three years before from Millwall now was this the year before it's just the yeah. previous season Chidge well he was no I don't know I've got a photograph of the 1970 cup winning side and he's in the picture that was just anyway, the season before well, exactly. But, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the point is that that we sold him, signed. and he was a very big. He was a very, he was a very big player for us. He was doing very, very well. I'll tell you what David Webb said about this. He says selling Keith Weller was the beginning of the end. Now, I just want to pick up on that because there are so many points in this season which we can say, well, that was the beginning of the end. And I think if I was going to title this season anything, it's the beginning of the end season. But Webby was the first one to coin that term, and he said it about selling Keith Weller. I mean, you were apoplectic with rage then, and you are still now, aren't you, J.K.? Well, they, I, they showed a goal. Oh, I'm watching a his very Saw it. Yeah. goal for Chelsea. You know, fantastic. Fantastic running. Passes in, runs in the penalty area, volleys in. You just thought class act, really class player. He was, he was great. Uh, uh, you look at certain 
players you wish you'd never sold. You know, they, uh, uh, they've gone through it before. You know, Pat Nevin, it really disappointed me. Um, Greaves really disappointed me. Venables really disappointed me. Um, but there was always because they needed the money they needed. In some instances, though, I think it's because they they pissed the manager off. Now, you wonder, was there something else to this? Whether Weller had been chosen specifically because he'd done something, as occasionally is the case with certain people, like Ray Wilkins being sacked for supposedly uh, being uh, rude to Abramovich or whatever. You don't, you never, we never know. There's always speculation. And I wonder whether Weller was in fact... Uh, there was something else going on here. Didn't, didn't he have a thing with Chopper? Yes. It was a feud. Yeah, yeah. and because he, he, in fact, he kicked him, didn't he, in, in a training session. He, 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 he directly assaulted him, Chopper. So they obviously didn't get on. So perhaps there was a, he thought, to keep a balance here. I think Sex, what Sexton wanted to do by buying Kemba and Garland was to actually try and tactically change his reliance on the stars but still still make it work. I think he was looking at possibilities. I think I, I think Garland got better and better as the season went on, but unfortunately, um, it took him a really long time to get there, and he hardly played him. And when he did play, I have this dreadful image of him running forwards and constantly falling over and sliding. It's just something that is uh, with his big, floppy, curly, blonde hair. I just, this is kind of, we used to sort of think, oh, I used to, you think I'll pretend to be playing football. I'll pretend to be Chris Garland. You know, there was a that kind of thing you do as a kid, um, a kid as a teenager. But nonetheless, it's what we did. So, uh, and Kemba, I felt was a purchase for another year. I felt he was somebody who you could see fitting into what um, Sexton wanted to do. And I think he attempted to do that the following season. I thought Sexton, uh, Sexton, I thought Kemba was excellent, an excellent purchase. And he, weirdly, I think he got picked for the uh, under-23s, didn't he, at the time, ahead of Hudson. Um, but at the same time, Hudson was playing poorly. And also, uh, knowing what we know of these players, their reputations went before them, I'm afraid, as it, not only... It, it, you know, we, we're living in a... That was a very conservative age. There were still people at the FA and managers. Revy was an example, who didn't like the way... That, well, Ramsey. And Ramsey is particularly yeah, all of them. But all of they were they were... Um, uh, if, if you were exhibited any kind of personality, that that was something to be avoided, and and therefore you wouldn't be selected. Because I think the fact that I think as as he says in his book, um, uh, Tim says, um, why didn't Webb get selected for England? Considering yeah. they they selected Blockley from Arsenal, that was just a lamppost. And uh, well, and and Webby Webby was our Player of the Year. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, I mean, not 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 in, everywhere in well, goal, was, yeah. in goal, centre forward, yeah, back. He was everywhere. Yeah. And hell of a player. Yeah, hell of I mean, player. Clayton. I, I, do you know what? Reading the honestly, Jonathan and I would like having book club here. I, I really <laughs> find it hilarious because I mean, I saw your tweet and we were clearly reading the same chapter at the same time, which is just bizarre. But I was thinking of Webby when I was reading the book, Clayton, and I was just thinking you know just kind of look at it in the bigger picture view he was brilliant that season he was an absolute rock for us that season he played everywhere he he, he kept a clean sheet having to play in goal because we uh, Benetti was injured Phillips was injured Sherwood was shot. away Ipswich yeah had one shot well, that I was there I remember it well we all went only have one shot they were crap weren't they yeah, but he yeah. still didn't he still didn't he was a defender and he was in goal uh, now here's here's the thing Clayton I, I, I find it amazing that 
given how good Webby was, and I, I know why he left, because as we'll find out in the next few weeks, all went absolute shit after this season. And he and he, he was very strident and very being very disappointed that, you know, things didn't go how they'd expected this season. And I don't think it was ever the same again for him. But why is David Webb not heralded and lauded and revered yeah, yeah. by all of us lot and the club, yeah. considering he came back and managed us after Porterfield tried to get us relegated and he kept us up and he kind of did it as a favour yeah. and then he got thrown away again. Why, Clayton, is David Webb not revered and honoured like so many of that night? And he, fuck me, he scored the winner in the cup final. What he's never, ever spoken about in these reverential tones and I cannot understand why. I revere him. I think Jonathan <laughs> probably does. The, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. I, I think people of a certain age revere him. Um, I think he was he's one of those players and, and every team has a sort of player. You never actually realise how good he is until he's gone. And I think he was one of those players. He wasn't flash. Um, but yeah, he scored goals. He saved goals. Um, he was a fantastic player. I was gutted when he left. I don't, I don't know why. I, I don't... Because he was part of that whole era that had the, the Osgoods, the Hudsons, the Bonettis, the Hollins, the Cooks... And because I think he wasn't a youth player because we bought him from Southampton. So there were perhaps there wasn't the, the love uh, for some of the youth players. But he, he was great. Well, I loved him. I thought he was a, he was a great player. And I, you know, you mentioned him and you're quite right. I don't know why he's not sort of down in, in the sort of annals of history um, like some of the others and, and doesn't get mentioned in, in sort of with the love that others do. I think part of it is due to the fact that he's kept himself away from the club as well. Um, he obviously got shabbily treated by Bates um, and really didn't... Well, I mean, none, none of us know what the true story was. Um, so I don't think he, he... Whereas you get a lot of ex-pros coming on and talking about Chelsea, and, and we, we've discussed previously the fact that you know, post Bates, the, the 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 older Chelsea players are treated with with love and you know care by the club, and they're always welcome back, and you always see them, but you never see Webby, and mm -hmm. it, it's a great shame. And I suspect because we don't ever see him, that there's not that that sort of love that you get for for other players, and and I don't know why, and it, maybe it's because he was so hacked off with how he was treated, and and I don't know whether they've ever tried to build any bridges with him. But Doesn't I was in the, America. Doesn't he live sorry? in America now? Doesn't he live in America now? I don't think. I think he lives in South End. <laughs> <laughs> South End in California, mate. Um, I was also at that game at Christmas when uh, when he played in goal. I was absolutely horrified. You know, like turning up as a little boy and just thinking, "Oh, great!" You know, was it? Was it bo I can't remember. If it was Boxing Day or close to Boxing Day? It was a Christmas fixture, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely in, in December. I just, I was just checked. And, and Sherwood, they attempted to get Sherwood, but he was up north. He was stuck. He, he was failed. And basically, I think it was Bonetti and, and Hughes both had flu, didn't they? Yeah. Um, so they couldn't play. I'm just desperately searching. Now you talk and I'll look. Go on. Was 27th, 27th of December, so it was day after Boxing Day. And I remember turning up and being very excited because it was a Christmas fixture and all the rest of it. And basically... You know the announcer getting more and more flustered by <laughs> by the minute, and then David Webb's playing in goal. And I, I think he'd actually played in goal before, but for part of it when Benetti had been injured, 
So it wasn't sort of something that was completely new, but the fact that he was going to play the whole game was just bizarre. And it he, he Clayton he did it against Coventry on the seventeenth, Friday the seventeenth right. of December, bizarrely when Bonetti got injured. Yeah. Uh, Chris Garland came on for Bonetti, and David Webb went in goal. Yeah, and then John Phillips was in goal when we beat Tottenham at home on the twenty second in the semi final of the League Cup. More of which later. Yeah. Uh, and then he was definitely in goal for. Uh, uh, the, the Ipswich Town match, which, as you say, was on the 27th of uh, December. Complete, so there you go. Completely bizarre. Really, really funny as well. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, if, if nothing else, that season should be remembered for that. Mm. Um, Jonathan alluded to this. I'm going to have a quick mention of it now before we talk about the Cup Winners' Cup defence, uh, as in the defence of the Cup Winners' Cup, not the defence that basically cost us uh, our passage in that uh, competition. But... Um, Johnny Hollins had an absolutely outstanding season. Arguably one of his best ever seasons for us. Um, most appearances, 30, uh, 58. He scored eight, 18 goals from midfield. Now, if I tell you the top scorers for Chelsea, Ozzie had 31. Tommy Bourbon, who had also had a good season, he got 18. Johnny Hollins got 18 from midfield. Um, he also scored, you know, I think he scored five in a row at one stage, Jonathan. Um sensational and he got the captaincy at the end of the season uh because they stripped uh well they basically dropped chopper at the end of the season because his form was so poor but they not only did that but they stripped him of the captaincy and the club captaincy so johnny hollins got you know on pitch captain eddie mccready was made club captain but i mean johnny hollins was outstanding that season wasn't he he completely brilliant yeah non-stop he was a kind of um uh it was the, he was the player you loved the almost loved the most for his industry um when you watched he just made he was part of it you you always needed a um uh, uh, somebody who just just worked non-stop and had was skillful and shot and scored and celebrated brilliantly and it sort of it was part of the package he fitted you know in every team you always want one of those who's a um who's just like a you know a, springing everywhere um it just it just it made the composition of the side so so fantastic um because you knew that you'd always get a shift from him because he was never poor he was always just huge effort never stopped running um but you kind of accepted it because that had been the pattern was he was always uh, always on the ball you know he was there he was it was that was his best season though without any shadow of a doubt mm. um you know, I, 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 you forget about him really as being. You know, I'm not surprised there's a Holland suite at the club because he, despite his dreadfulness as a manager, he was, uh, he was really a, a top top player. He was. I, I, I liked him a lot as a player. I've got to be honest. But uh, right, okay. So um, after the break, we're going to carry on with this. Um, we're going to start uh, really with Chelsea's defence of the European Cup Winners' Cup, which was. Uh, noteworthy for many reasons uh, and then we can get into all the other stuff that happened for the rest of the season uh, now before we do all of that uh, I've got to tell you about a few wonderful things uh, like uh, well Chelsea special first off I think is a very good thing to talk about because of course it relates very much to what we're talking about here and I mean talking of which uh, I'd love to interview David Webb if we could get him on a Chelsea special, that would be good because I bet he's got a story to tell. But uh, me and Martin King have done these podcasts with the likes of Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Bummers, 
Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, Canners, and even Danny Harkins. And they really are great because these guys talk about the events that we're talking about now, actually, with such clarity and such a completely different insight. And for, for some bizarre reason, they trusted both Martin and myself uh, and they really opened up. Now, uh, you can download all the interviews at chelseaspecial.podbean.com for a small charge for each podcast of £2.99, which uh, we've paid all the players to do these, so we've got quite a lot of costs involved, and it helps to cover that. So uh, just subscribe to Podbean, go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com, and then click on Buy Single Episode Now. There's, they're all listed on the on the homepage of Podbean, and you can download whichever ones you want. And uh, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special. And uh, the website's chelseaspecial.com. And, of course, we're on Facebook, too, as the Chelsea Special. So there you go. Cheech. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Um, all right, okay. Uh, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast uh, with the lovely Jonathan Kidd. Buonasera. And the, uh, the equally lovely Mr. Clayton Beerman. Good evening. Always good to have these boys in the house. Nice chat with them, I do. And no, uh, no, nothing like tonight's chat where we're talking about the 1971-72 season where they totally outrank me as they were both old enough to have gone to a significant amount of the games, whereas I was seven years old. I think that was the year that I first got taken to a football match by my dad 
who was a Portsmouth fan. He took me to see Portsmouth play at Pratton Park and uh, it nearly put me off football for life, as I'm sure you can all understand. Um, now, a uh, quick plug before we carry on with the chat about the 71-72 season. Um, Patreon, as you all know, uh, is a lovely little vehicle which enables me to put great content up there when there's football going on. Sadly, there isn't, so there's no great content going up there and I should work harder at it, I know. But it's also a lovely way for you to kind of show your appreciation for what we do week in, week out. Uh, and donate some money. Uh, you don't have to donate much, as little or as much as you want, uh, and it's very easy to do so. You just go to patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Um, so there we go. Kind of all started out really as an idea for, you know, we often meet up with people in the pub to have a beer, and they all say, oh, we'd love to buy you a beer when we come over. And, of course, if they can't get over, then they can't. So this was kind of a good way to do it. So think of it like that. Think of it as buying me a pint once a week. I will drink it and uh, very wisely, I assure you. Anyway, enough of the begging bowls. Uh, we now need to go right back to what we were talking about before, which is great fun, which is the 1971-72 season. Now, at this juncture, uh, we're about to talk about the defence of Chelsea's European Cup Winners' Cup campaign. Uh, now, as we know, their league form had been absolutely pants up till then. They'd lost one, two, three, four games, drawn two and won only three Okay, and they were something like 17th in the league at the time. Uh, and then they got the first round match in the Cup Winners' Cup against Jeunesse au Charage, uh, I believe, who are a Luxembourg team. And uh, something remarkable happened. We walloped them away 8-0. Uh, and uh, in the return leg, uh, we walloped them again 13-0. Now that is still a record uh, today, I believe, for any European competition. Now, um, were, you, were you both there? Uh, no. You weren't, Clayton? No. No, so neither of you were at this match. Well, if you, you, I, I mean, I don't know about Jonathan, but you've got what you've got to remember is I was a schoolboy at the time. And okay. Mid, midweek um, games at night were a, a, a big no-no. So you're not as old as you, you, you claim to be, which of course is no, a good I thing. I am as old as I claim to be. Okay. And I can right. say the same, but the mitigating circumstances was were... I, I didn't really care about watching a team that we'd already beaten 8-0. Well, that's a really interesting point, actually, JK, because going back to Tim's book again, he makes the same point, is that the, the attendance for this match was way down on what it had, had been in previous uh, you know European Cup, Cup, Cup Winners' Cup uh, matches, which is very, very interesting. But anyway, to cut a long story short, short the interesting things about this is that that 21-goal uh, you know, aggregate score still remains as a record in European competition. And also, um, Aussie scored a hat-trick in both legs. Uh, Tommy Baldwin scored a hat-trick in the home leg. But of course, there was this... this I don't know if you remember anything about this, but they, they had a, a bloke with one arm yeah. and a pair of specs, didn't they, Clayton? Yeah, yeah. No, I do remember that. The the, the attendance at, that night was 27,621. You see, on the other hand... Sorry, man with one arm. I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> I didn't mean that. That just came to mind. That was subconscious. But on the other hand, um, I do have a great memory of this bloke with the glasses and one arm. So I may have been there. And I, the only way I can find it is checking my programs, which, of course... Well, the, I, the, the thing is that that was, that was not on telly because you had oh. the, the Wednesday night sports night with Coleman on BBC... And they, I don't even know if they had highlights of, of the European Cup games. So no. they, the Cup Winners' Cup got no coverage 
at all on no. TV until the final. So yeah, it was all these little things. This is the trouble. I go, no, I don't think I was at that for the reason. Then you go, oh, hang on a second, I might have been anyway. I think I made. There we go. Early. It was such a such a one way process. I don't think I was there. No, no. They were a bunch of Luxembourg part-timers and villagers, apparently. But there you go. Um, you know. So anyway, we, we go through to the next round. It's all very swimmingly. We then play Wolves uh, at home, who were a decent side in those days. Uh, in fact, they got to the semi-final of this competition. And uh, or did they get to the final? They might have even got to the final. Anyway, because Spurs won it in the end. More of that later. But we won 3-1 against Spurs. Had, and we went on a bit of a decent run. There's a particularly impressive result up up against An, uh, up at Anfield where we drew nil nil with a, a fairly injured side. What? Weren't they in the first cup, not the yeah, cup? Yeah, they were. I was going to say that they 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 beat. You're dead right. You're dead right. Spurs beat Wolves, I think, in the semi final. Right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I I I defer to my elders and betters on that. Uh, on that point. Anyway, we then get drawn against at Vidaberg, who were again another team of Swedish part-timers. And this at this point it does all seem to go a bit wrong. We drew nil-nil in the first leg, no great crime in Europe, and then we got on back in the, the home leg on the third of November, and we managed to draw one-one, which meant that we got knocked out uh on uh, on away goals. Now, from what, I don't remember any of this because, of course, I wasn't there. But what I, what, what I read is that we were basically very complacent. John Holland's missed a penalty, which was crucial. Had we not, if, if Holland's missed a penalty when we were one nil up, had that gone in, it would have been game over. They then scored a goal from their only shot, defended with nine men uh, for the entire game. We missed loads of chances. Aussie missed loads of chances. Uh, it was at the time the press called it one of the most embarrassing moments of the club's history. They clearly didn't have a crystal ball. Uh, and, the, and, and and apparently the players, and particularly Aussie, got the bird. They were booed off the pitch. Were either of you two there? Jonathan's nodding. Clayton, were you there? I wasn't there, but I do actually remember Hollins was inconsolable at the end. It wasn't his yeah. fault that we actually lost. But I think I'm right in saying that he hit the post from the penalty. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just inconsolable and probably the last person on the pitch that should have been inconsolable. But... Uh, I suppose that's just the way that that was the nature of the man, to be honest. So, um, Jonathan, did you boo Aussie? No, I don't think I've ever booed anybody. There we go. I knew I could rely on you. But there was booing, though. The crowd were not happy, were they? No, it was a terrible performance. But there were lots of those that season. Complacency and... um, I'm trying to remember, I think he didn't have a great side out. And I also, I don't think either of the two players could play, could they? The new ones. Um, they were cup-tied. Cup-tied, yeah. So, um, um, uh, and everybody was injured. But even then, they were, you know, they should have won it. I think it was one of those one of games that we're so used to of uh, them being completely on on top and, and, and the opposition then just defending well. I think we're used to that much more now, actually, in this era. Well, just just to, to, to back up what you were saying, uh, Alan Hudson put us up one uh, nil up on forty six minutes. Johnny Hollins missed his penalty, hit the post sixty minutes. They scored on sixty five, and then it was just a whole. And actually, the team was interesting. That was this is not a bad team. Peter Bonetti, Paddy Mulligan, Ron Harris, John Boyle, John Dempsey, David Webb, Charlie Cook, John Hollins, Peter Osgood, Alan Hudson, Peter Houseman. Pretty much, you know what you would call Chelsea's best team. But the headlines are, are, are brilliant. Uh, Chelsea jeered out. Chelsea were jeered out of Europe by their own fans last night after being humbled by a team of Swedish part-timers. So there you go. And things like betrayal. 
Uh, there you go. So yeah, people were not happy. Um, this is again, I think, you know what I was saying earlier about a whole kind of litany of um, this was the beginning of the end moment. Uh, you know, selling Keith E. Weller, a bit of a beginning of the end moment. Getting knocked out of the uh, the Cup Winners' Cup, appallingly, another beginning of the end moment. Because, of course, what this meant was that that was arguably, um, uh, you know, a good chance of... Uh, I mean, that was actually one of the club's priorities, to try and win the thing again. So they kind of completely uh, screwed that. But however, however, there's always a however with Chelsea, isn't there? That's what I love about this club. Actually, that was a real seminal moment in the season because, you know, whilst being utterly, utterly, utterly disappointing, we then went on a, a run of games. We lost once in 24 games. In fact, actually, I think it might be more than that. Uh, one, two, three, four. Hang on. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Well, we want we lost once in the further seventeen. But actually, if you take take it up to before that, we we only lost one game in twenty four matches for the rest of the season. So we really picked up our form. And you know, basically, what was going on was that you know we 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 still felt we had a chance of getting in to Europe via the league. We might have been 10th or 11th, but there were there, I mean City, I think City, United and Leeds were changing uh the title of the, you know the top spot was changing hands between them throughout the season, but they they were only ever about 7 uh, points off the top even though they were in about 10th position, which was a bit odd. And they still had the FA Cup and they still had the uh the League Cup. Um, now, before that, there was something that was quite remarkable that happened. And one of the real kind of confidence uh, right in the middle of this run, they were on uh, a run of, I think it was six games they won on the trot after the Atvidaberg game, the last of which was a really tough 1-0 win at home against Tottenham, which was, of course, uh, a precursor to uh, a League Cup semi-final. Now, this is the match, Jonathan, where the there was the shudder of the North Stand. <laughs> well, but every time I sat in the North Stand, it, it shuddered regardless. I don't think this wasn't any news. I don't know about you, Clayton, if you ever went and sat there. It I, was I, always I, sat, I, sat there, I sat there once, and it terrified the life out of me. It should I, always move. This is, yeah, but this ridiculous of saying, oh, it shuddered this season, as if in that game when the train went past. It's a load of rubbish. It always moved. It's always <laughs> shuddered. Is it, is it my imagination, or have I just dreamt this? That you sort of had to walk up these rickety wooden stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I sat there once, and I have no idea why or what game it was or what have you. But all I remember was thinking, "I hope I get out of here before it falls <laughs> over." It was a very uh, weird. According to his book, yeah, apparently it was supposed to be um, built all the way round, and the Second World War got in the name in the way of it. Um, but they were having great trouble, weren't they, that season? Because they'd almost had the East Stand condemned. It really was uh, um, ancient. And uh, you could, clearly there was so little investment in the club. And um, you slightly despair at where the money was all going. And they, well, they, he, he invented the pools that year, didn't he, according to... Yeah. But, I mean, the other funny thing, Jonathan, talking about the money being tight and them being tight, when they built the West Stand... 
they couldn't be they were too tight to build a, a stand over the benches so yeah. when the north stand people who were all season ticket that's holders right, right. they got moved out because that basically they weren't allowed to use the stand again ever again in fact that was the last time it was used although there was this kind of on and off thing going on about will they be able to use it will they not be able to use it anyway they moved the season ticket holders over to the benches and they all got wet and they all complained, wanting their season ticket money course, back, which, and they were which they protests. Gave them, which they yeah, gave them. that's right. That's but it was right. it was a complete. It was you knew that if you had a, you'd say, "I've got a seat for the North Stand," and they'd go, everybody go, whoa, 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 you know. But even even ten years beforehand, this wasn't this wasn't this wasn't news. This was just it was clearly. I thought that that, that had been built in. You know, that was it was built on those stilts, and the stilts moved. Not that it was actually a safety hazard even ten years before. Wow. Mate, I tell you what, I was in the Matthew Harding upper when we beat Liverpool in the Champions League. In the one, in, in the in the yeah, it it moved two feet. It was bouncing. Yeah. We were all doing yeah. one uh, one step beyond. Well, people, what and it people was used bouncing. to do? They used to do. People used to stamp in the North Stand. Yeah, deliberately, oh my God. deliberately yeah. to get it shuddering. <laughs> so this business of just saying it's a it's a you know that shudder that day caused us to worry about it, which is absolute bollocks from the board. You, we we made it shudder. We'd everybody go. Let's let's have a let's stamp. You know the, the constant stamping in the sodding stand. That's what you did. That's what you did in the Brilliant. north stand. You know the thing. <clears throat> the other lovely irony about the north stand, the old north stand, is it is it's, it's situated exactly where Clayton now sits. I think pretty much. It's true. Yeah, you are sitting on the old north stand, mate. Around you are the spectres of all those people who sat there. Yeah. Do you still feel a shudder occasionally, Clayton? Not as often as I used to. Yeah, I think I think we'll move on. So here we are. We're we're in this really great run of form. We've moved up the table. We're now about seventh. So we generally think we've got. We, we're still pissed off that we got kicked out of Europe because we had high hopes there. But we still got the FA Cup. That we're still in the FA Cup. And we're, you know, we're uh, approaching a League Cup semi-final, which again is against Spurs. Um, big match. They won the competition the year before, so they were the holders. That's why I think they were actually in the Cup. Uh, well, that would have been UEFA. Whatever. Let's not argue about that, but let's stay friends. Bottom line is we're in a League Cup semi-final, two-legged affair. It was a fantastic game. It really was end-to-end. I think, I can't remember, but I think we the winner was a penalty. Um... I think we led both times and they clawed it back. And then I think we, we scored right towards the end. And then we played at White Hart Lane, which was a game I did go to. Well, before you do, Clayton, just to, to reiterate that, you're, you're right. Uh, we, Aussie, well, hang on. Uh, Aussie put us one up on 38 minutes. Naylor scored for them on 50. Then they went ahead with Chivers on 52 minutes. Chris Garland scored on 75, and then Johnny Hollins got a penalty on 86 minutes. But the, I think the most interesting thing about all of this, if I don't know if you, you boys will remember, I remember growing up, this guy, I couldn't, it always used to make me tickle that there was a guy called Mike England who was the captain of Wales. Yeah. And, of course, he uh, he was a, a big defender for, for Tottenham. Clearly, he'd been nibbling at Aussie all night, and Aussie managed to get himself booked for uh, basically kicking him in the chest. Do you remember that? I don't, but uh, it doesn't come as much as a surprise. Yeah, but Aussie was scra- always scrappers. That, that wonderful clip that was on um, Twitter with him and Norman Hunter on the day yeah. Yeah. Norman sadly passed. With his beard, he's got his yeah, beard. that was beard. so funny. Whoa. That was next season, I think. Yeah. 
That was the 72-73 season. Um, so there we go. So, right, pick it up from where we left off. We then have to go up there, Clayton, for the second yeah, leg. So we, we what happened? To, um, we went to their place. By the way, and... I went to the home game and not the away game. Okay, so I went the other way around. Yeah. Um, and I think we scored first through Chris Garland because it was interesting when Jonathan was talking about Chris Garland. Um, I only remember him scoring spectacular goals and not so much him falling over. And the goal he scored that night was brilliant. It was about 25, 30 yards out. He smacked it in. Um, I think they went 2-1 up and then we scored from the most ridiculous mistake. Um, Alan Hudson, free kick by the corner flag. That's right. Sort of scuffed it as far as... 89 minutes, Clayton. Yeah. So, so it was 2-1 and it was going to go to extra time. And um, the funny thing is that the ball, I mean, it was quite bizarre that it went in. I, I think it was Cyril Knowles was on the it was. post. It went through his legs and just squeaked in. And I went to stand up and my uncle, God bless him, pulled me down. Just as I was going up, he just tugged at my sleeve and I sat down again. Because as you can imagine, losing to your London rivals in the semi-final of a cup in the last minute, the last thing you want to see is some Herbert standing up, celebrating, and I probably would not have got out of there. Well, you were in the, you were in the Spurs end, I see. Right. I, I, well, my uncle was a Spurs season ticket holder, so I was in the old Spurs West End. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was... Um, that was that was so funny. I mean, so at the, at the age of 12, uh, Clayton took the uh, Tottenham West stand. This is the headline I'm taking out of this. I, I'm impressed. I, I took nothing at all. I, I slunk out of there with my head down, big cheesy grin. Being, I do, so I do remember that, uh, which uh, reading Tim's book, but I remember this that they complained vociferously about Mike England about it. Mike England did, didn't he? Direct free kick. And the yeah. referee had never put his arm up. So it was clearly yeah. a direct free kick. But they went on and on and on about it. Not like Spurs at all, mate. No, no, no. But once again, once as again, they, as they say, look in the history books. Indeed, indeed. Once again, the fact that I remember this so vividly um, makes me suspect I might have been there. I can make these statements about things, and then I remember the, thinking, "Hang on, having a chat with somebody at the time, saying, no, that was definitely a direct free kick.' No, it's not a direct free kick, which I wouldn't have had at home." Um, I don't remember. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been on it telly. Wasn't, wasn't on telly at home. Therefore, no. I'm, therefore, I was there. I just want to get, ask you one question, right? I mean, Cyril Knowles was the uh, the chap who who let the ball go under his feet uh, with a very because it bounced about three times before it got to him from oh, from the footage I've seen. It hobbled. It virtually yeah. wiped its feet before it went in the net. But is this is this where the song uh, "Nice One Cyril, no. Nice One Son, Nice One Cyril"? Let's have another. one. I'm very it, disappointed it to hear about that. Him. But no, it wasn't because of that goal. Because at that, he screwed up. So it wouldn't have been... I hope you all sang that to him. No, I think it was after. I, I don't think... Right. I don't know. Oh, I, well. I honestly don't know. Let me have a look and see when Nice One several was really... Well, good. never mind. So wasn't it when they won the... Uh, when they won, didn't they invent that song after they'd won the, um, the, the Fairs Cup? It might have been. Yeah. Anyway... Talking of cups, uh, we now have a very important uh, week in Chelsea's season. In fact, actually, this defines the season. In fact, one could say it defines Chelsea's next 26 years, JK. Well, can I just say that, that, that after the, the Cup Winners' Cup defeat, although we were bitterly disappointed, 
um, there was still the feeling that they would win uh, the FA Cup and the, yeah. and the they were favourites the, for the FA yeah. Cup. So it wasn't as it was disappointing and horrendous, but at the same time, there's that terrible hope that one had that. They were a good enough side and they win both those trophies. Well, I mean, you're right. We'd had one defeat in 24 games before yeah. the Orient. Yeah. We played Basically, we played Leighton yeah. Orient in the fifth round yeah. up at their place at yeah. Brisbane Road. Yeah. One defeat in 24 games. We were favourites, yeah. bookies' favourites for both the FA Cup and the League Cup yeah. because we were going to be playing Stoke in a week's time, who we were better than. And we were actually still only a few points off first place in the league. So European qualification was hugely likely. There was a sense of optimism around Chelsea, uh, quite rightly so. But as I said, we, we are about to go into a defining week in the annals of uh, Chelsea Football Club. So on, uh, trying to find it here. Yeah, so on the 26th of February, we play Leighton Orient at Brisbane Road. And the next match is Stoke City at Wembley in the League Cup final on the 4th of March. Um, you were there, Jonathan, at the Orient match, weren't I you? I was indeed there. What happened? Uh, well, we were 2 nil up and all over them. And um, one of their players, I was under the impression, I thought Barry Kitchen had scored or something. He played for them at the time. I think he was. He's, kind of... He scored a couple of years later at the bridge when they knocked us out. Of course he did. Yeah. He did that. You're right. But I think he was, well, I don't remember if he was playing or not. Anyway, I've, 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 I've. It was Phil Hoadley scored first. Right, right, right. But I, well, regardless, screamer. Regardless, yeah. They, they, we were completely all over them. It was ludicrous as always in these situations. And then, uh, you know, they all just came back, and the pitch was just a quagmire. But we were still all over them, and they managed to score two more goals in that kind of scrappy, dreadful. Um, the the pitch has fallen apart, and we're not balls punted up and a lot of people are scragging each other and there's lots of violence going on and it was a kind of cup tie you sort of accept you don't accept it you just go along with the fact that they're probably going to win because you know the ref's on their side as well and it's all just falling apart and in front of me um there was supposedly i remember this was actually played out in the in the papers chelsea fans attempt to stop the game by going on the pitch was said in the last few minutes in actual fact uh, in front of me, this was never mentioned in the press, I never understood why, um, the, the thin wall that um, was obviously there before that, just by the next to the goal, just behind the goal, fell down. And large numbers of supporters fell down with it. And the St. John Ambulance had to come along and, uh, and deal with it. And several people were worried about what was going to happen and whether anything else was going to fall down. And people were worried about the, um, trying to get safe away from this and, and were actually next to the pitch and some actually wandered onto the edge of the pitch and the referee blew his whistle and went over and tried to realise what had happened but um, and I think a couple of, of ne'er-do-wells decided that they would uh, run onto the pitch at the time but it was something that was actually ignored by everybody um, they, they, uh, and they, I think they then said you know we, we've done a crash barrier check and there wasn't a problem with that it wasn't a crash barrier the wall fell down yeah. This is what the press said, J.K. They talk about uh, media agendas. They were around even in those days. Shed mob run riot. Barry's winner sparks battle with 50 police. Noses were broken and heads were kicked in terrorist battles as 50 helmeted policemen fought to stop Chelsea's dreaded shed mob. 
from forcing an abandonment of this gigantic cup shop shock the shed flaunting their blue and white scarves stormed the pitch while orient was still cheering barry fairbrother's goal he scored on what 89 minutes yeah uh, sorry 88 minutes two minutes from time seven minutes later with 95 minutes showing on my watch and a convoy of stretchers heading for the tunnel that goal was declared the winner after a stoppage of play by referee ray tinkler who called on the police they chased the 100 or so hooligans off the field, penned them back over a sidewall, and struggled shoulder to shoulder to keep them from breaking free before the final whistle. So there you go. Well, I think I think people ran on the pitch at the end because everybody always did anyway, and I think the police were involved. But this this incident with the wall was just completely ignored. Indeed. So there we go. So we're out of the FA Cup. Uh, just very typical of Chelsea at the time and this season, by the way. You know complacent before they go into it expected to win easily Clayton 2-0 up cruising and then I think the what well, as a result of this there's a lot of talk about their mentality and I mean it's so weird isn't it how history repeats it, it, it just was so redolent of, of last season and sometimes this season you know they're really on top they're doing really really well playing well they get up and then somebody scores and they just they shit themselves basically i think is the technical parlance <laughs> and there was re- there were real questions about chelsea's mentality here yeah but i i, I think that that was just a shock i mean that really i was I, I remember listening on the radio and i couldn't believe what what i was hearing um i just think that it it sort of i think it was more of a coincidence rather than than a, a sort of bad performance in the two games. I, 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 as Jonathan said, that they were all over Orient, and Orient scored. I mean, the the wonder goal that they scored to get them back in the game was just a complete fluke, and that guy will never have done what he did in that game ever again. Um, but it got them. It got them in it. It got the crowd in it. As, as Jonathan said, the pitch was like a quagmire. And it just happened, and I th- I think that um, we we didn't play that well, but we you know it was a cup thing. That's what happened. There were there were cup shocks. I just think it's just a shame that the following week ha- what happened happened. Well, indeed, and I mean they they were criticised in many respects for the for the same kind of uh, thing happening again. Overwhelming favourites against Stoke City. And I mean, it's really interesting reading up about this and reminding myself of it. It was e- it's easy to believe that kind of version. Oh, you know, I mean, Rick in his book uh, Chelsea: The Complete Record says that Chelsea were moody and mediocre, but the actual reality was was that uh, you know basically Conroy scored after five minutes, which in a cup final really you know knocks the stuffing out of you. But Paddy Mulligan uh, got injured at half time. Uh, which meant Tommy Baldwin came on. But that actually make, meant that Houseman had to go left back, which meant that he wasn't at left wing, which means he wasn't delivering for Osgood, who basically, having scored on the stroke of half time to equalise, basically meant that he was isolated up front. And of course, Stoke A defended with all their worth. Eastham gets a lucky goal because we can't defend properly. And Gordon Banks, uh, only the best goalkeeper in the world, by the way, kept us out with some brilliant saves. So... It's not quite, I don't think, the, I think the reality is is not quite as simple as saying, oh, well, you know, as always, Chelsea was complacent and arrogant, turned up, expected to win easily, and, and basically didn't turn up. I'm not sure if that's entirely true, but you boys were probably there. I mean, I know you were there, Clayton. Uh, Jonathan, were you there? No, I wasn't. And I've never, okay. never watched the game 
ever deliberately. <laughs> Brilliant. Because uh, I couldn't bear to see them lose lose it. No, I was I was playing some sport for the school side, so uh, I couldn't go. But um, so, no. does my version ring any bells then, Clayton, or am I being a bit revisionist? No, no, I I, I don't think it it does actually, and I, I was quite because um, I saw the same thing in Rick's book because when I was looking about um, just about tonight, I, I read his little crazy of the season. Um, and I find that quite strange. I mean, maybe, maybe it was mean and moody. And I mean, you know, again, I was quite young. But my memory was, yes, we let in an early goal. But after that, it was all us until we equalised. And then um, I think, it, I mean, George Eastham's goal, I remember him sort of hooking it in whilst he was on the floor. No, was he hooked in whilst he was on the floor? No, George Eastham hitting a rebound. It, it, it was... I remember the morning of the game that the, the, my parents used to get the Daily Mail. Well, it probably still does, but um, there was a cartoon of like Ron Harris showing the Stoke player, the, their captain, the the raw box, you know, and just because we were just nailed on favourites. And I don't perceive from my memory of the game, and let's face it, at that age, you're not that much of a reader of the game, but I don't actually perceive that we were arrogant. I don't think we were mean and moody. I think we were just, the, the luck went against us. Um, and, and also the filthiness of Comroy, who apparently just went round kicking everybody and the referee was just completely... Uh, I, I honestly don't remember. I don't, I, I don't remember feeling hard done by other than basically losing a game that we shouldn't have lost. And as I say, I, I don't, I mean, an awful, awful week but I think perhaps the, the mentality was there. And I don't, you know, um, it was just one of those things. You can't win every game. And it was just unfortunate. Those, those were two back-to-back games. I, I remember I was absolutely devastated. Um, but thankfully, at that time, when Le- I left, the, left Wembley with my dad, um, I had no idea <laughs> that we wouldn't be back there for quite a few years. I mean, just to pick up on uh, Frank McGee in, I don't know what paper, he actually, but anyway, he used to write for the Mirror. This is really interesting what he says here. Uh, Once Chelsea adjusted to the comprehensive reshuffle of the second half, with Harris moving to right back, Houseman dropping to left back, and Bourbon going into the front line, they threatened to take over again. Basically, his whole whole piece here was how on top Chelsea were for most of the game. Bonetti was beaten once by... Oh, that's irrelevant. They scored a goal that was offside. There was no hint in anything Stoke were doing at the time to indicate the scale of the move leading to Eastham's winning goal, nor the truth of the tremendous comeback Chelsea promptly staged. Banks had to make a series of plunging saves and parries as Chelsea threw everyone forward, but even he might have been beaten had Baldwin been quicker with one shot and more accurate with a header though the way Banks got to an Osgood header in the 86th minute makes that debatable. So, I mean, the story that we're getting here was that we were absolutely on top, a few defensive clangers possibly, uh, and Stoke, you know, Banks was superb and Stoke were lucky because we pretty much battered them. But it'd be worth, I have to go, because I think you can still see the whole of that game. So I might try and dig it up on YouTube and have a watch of it. I mean, interestingly, of course, we played in the in the blue with the yellow socks again. Uh, you know, which should have been good luck. And of course, this is this is the final where blue is the colour was recorded for, but in February by by Chelsea supporting producer Larry Page, and it reaches number five in the charts. And of course, two interesting legacies from the match. One is blue is the colour, 
which we still sing to this day, which I find brilliant. And secondly, as Clayton was saying, I mean, you know, in a sense, that week, and the, again, Tim's book is brilliant in this because he's, he's interviewed a few fans who were around at the time, but, the, you know, one of the most disappointing weeks in the club's history up till then. But now, in hindsight, we can see that that genuinely was the beginning of the end. And we didn't go back to Wembley until 1986, did we? Was that in, in, in a, a non-competition? Well, yeah, in the full Members' Cup. So, 97 for a proper a proper cup final, absolutely. So, I think, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I don't know if you love history. It's really quite interesting to kind of pinpoint these watershed moments, these moments in time, but... You know, I do think with hindsight, that was pro- possibly the, the week that did it. Although at the end of the day, you know, we didn't fall apart immediately. In fact, actually, you know, our league form, you know, we still had a chance of getting into Europe via the league. Uh, we didn't quite manage to do it. And, and our form did tail off a little bit towards the end. I mean, after the Stoke game, just looking down now. We had five wins uh, in a row, didn't we? Uh, I'm just... Just trying to find. I've gone all, my my screen just went all big. Well, we didn't actually. We drew nil nil with Liverpool. That would have been a tough match. Uh, we lost two one to Forest, which would have been very disappointing. It given given that they were you know heading towards relegation, or yeah they got relegated that season. So we we lost to Forest, uh, and then we lost one nil to Man City, who were at the time at the top of the table and challenging for it. So no disgrace there. And then we won. We beat West Ham, Sheffield United, Ipswich Town and Palace and Wolves in a row. So we were still well in contention. And guess what? It all came to a grinding, shuddering halt when we lost 3-0 away to Spurs, Clayton. Yeah, no, I've got absolutely no memory of that whatsoever. Um, Me neither. I'm, I, I know for a fact that I went to a couple of those games, the, the home games against maybe West Ham, Sheffield United and Palace. But I don't remember the Spurs game at all. Um, but it obviously, we only then got, what, five out of 50. I don't know, was it three points for a win then, or was it just two? Two, two I think. Two. Yeah, no, we, 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 we didn't do very well after that, did we? It, it sort of all petered out. It did indeed. Oh, well, there we go. And as I said, next week we'll pick that up in the 72-73 season. We've got Tim Rolls with us. And, of course, that's the season where... They started demolishing the East Stand and building the new one, uh, which was uh, together with some very odd things happening with the players and the management, very much the root of uh, why it all went horribly wrong for the next three seasons. But that is for another week. But I thank both of you boys for that. That was uh... wait one more comment quickly. Go on, no, go on, we Jonathan. Two 0 to Leeds at the yeah. final game of the season with a rather pusillanimous performance, apparently, and they thought they were just gonna win the title and then they lost the following week didn't they against wolves and uh and derby that's when was it derby derby what was it derby won the league and they were in mallorca weren't they the night that leeds lost to wolves yeah indeed they were we we in fact were joyous at leeds losing in a way that was was uh i remember leaping about and cheering as only a uh, a teenager can do at the fact that uh I keep I have to keep emphasising about the third or fourth year in a row that Leeds has screwed up. Yeah, yeah, but the the hatred for Leeds was was unanimous around the country. I really can't estimate how and the, every game that Chelsea played against them was a complete. Um, I would just a, 
a slugfest of all proportions. It was just ludicrous. So little football being played, personal vendettas and revenge. And this is why there is the hatred for Leeds. I keep having to emphasise that in a way that there isn't for Tottenham. Well, I think that the funny thing is the nil-nil draw. I think we drew nil-nil with them yeah, that season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, they had it on match of the day. It was the big match of the day, but they only had about a minute or two. This is one of the worst football games I've ever played because they just spent ninety minutes just kicking each other. Yes. And as you said, take you know personal vendettas all over the pitch. Yeah. Uh, and Leeds were a good side. This is this is the Leeds side that actually opened up and started playing football. They were a good side. In fact, next season, the one that you were talking about when. Uh, Peter Osgood and uh, Norman Hunter kicked each other. They 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 were a superb team that season. That's the season they went on and broke all sorts of records. They were a isn't great it? side, but they you know he taught them just to be utterly cynical. So. Dirty leads, J.K. And actually, I think on this point, I think it's behoven upon us to 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 to, to say how sad I am personally. Anyway, to, uh, that Norman Hunter passed away yeah, this week because yeah. uh, I actually interviewed him for a TV program I made back in two thousand and five, yeah. and he was an absolutely delightful man an intelligent charming engaging very funny man very kind and i baited him literally for an hour and a half in an interview trying to get him to say on camera and admit on camera that leeds were a dirty side i said come on norman we all know you were dirty just say it you can say you're dirty leeds i spent the entire hour and a half trying to get him to do that and he just he would chuckle at me he said oh no 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 and then right at the end, I said, come on, come on. He said, well, well, I've got to admit, we did cross the line once or twice, <laughs> which I just thought was lovely. I told you that he just had a... about playing football with him in a Dennis Walton yeah, charity yeah. side, and he was at centre-half because he was playing for Bristol City at the, at the time um, with, uh, who was the manager? Royal, Joe Royal was the, the yeah. city manager. And, um, and he was lovely to me, absolutely lovely. Yeah, yeah. Coach. all right. Well, sorry, well got played youngster. Well played, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he's a lovely bloke. So very sad loss. Fancy losing, you know, two that were in the FA Cup final and in the World Cup '66 squad as well. Very sad. Anyway, uh, we're going to move on. We've got our emails and stuff to do in a in a very short time. There's a couple of crackers in this week, and then that'll be it for this week. We'll be back in a sec. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast with me, your uncle Stanford Chidge, and my uh, grandparents, Mr. Clayton Beerman and Mr. Jonathan Kidd, who are doing very well. Thank you very much. I haven't got my hearing aid in, though. What? 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 Oi, stop that. Stop fiddling with no. the frame. I have, I have to say, going back to the previous couple of parts, I feel really privileged to be sitting here talking to you both about the 1971-72 season. You were actually there at those games. And I, one thing I meant to say was that that uh, League Cup final, I think, was probably the first time I remember... I mean, I didn't support Chelsea then. I'd yet to really find them. and uh, But I do remember watching it on the TV, that match. Uh, and being intrigued by it. it's my, probably my earliest memory of watching Chelsea. Although I didn't, I didn't start supporting them until a few years later because I was only about seven. So, you know, football hadn't really, and I know because I was still suffering from the trauma of my dad having taken me up to Fratton Park. At least so. they played in blue with red socks. Yes, but they were still very, very shit. Oh, yeah, and Portsmouth, and it was very, very violent. Oh. <laughs> 
and I was very, very small, and it was very frightening. But anyway, we digress. Very, very quick plug uh, for a fabulous show that we're doing every Friday. We've had these two fabulous people on uh, to do it called My Chelsea, where we talk for half an hour or so about how we discovered supporting Chelsea and some of our favourite games, our favourite players, best, worst moments, that kind of thing. A lot of fun to do. A lot of fun to do, gents, Clayton. Loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. I mean, it's sort of so apposite, wasn't it? The fact that I was yeah. waxing lyrical about the cat and then, you know, a couple of days later he was gone. So he, he, I had some lovely comments from people um, listening to it. So it was nice. And, and if anybody hasn't listened to it and they want to hear uh, a love love letter to the cat before he went, um, then they could listen to that. But, yeah, it's really good fun doing it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. And Jonathan? I didn't... Um give him enough of a eulogy uh on well you didn't know the did show you? last week no no after when we were talking oh, about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's yeah. let's be honest jonathan that neither of us could actually say what we wanted to say because there were 10 of us on there and true, it's you know, true. Had, it, had it been a show like this and there was just three of us we would have spent virtually the whole show talking about it but yeah yeah it was a bit mental wasn't it and i kind of felt i really wanted needed you all to be able to say something as well on no, that i know you did you well know. you did well you know because it was you know he meant a lot to us all so there you go uh final plug uh for another podcast actually our dear dear friend alex churchill who is a force of nature as we all know has pretty much reduced a podcast on history every day uh called the history hack you can find it at historyhack.podbean.com what she is doing is amazing she got sean bean and uh john scat what's his name jason Jason, your mate, lovely mate. mate. I can't remember his surname. He played Harris in in Sharp's Rifles. That's good enough for me. He was on it. They've got another one with all the rest of the... Salky. Salky, Jason Salky. Yeah, he was on it. They've got another one with the rest of Sharp's Rifles. So uh, Cooper and uh, not Hagman, uh, but uh, Perkins, maybe Darrow O'Malley. I don't know. I've heard it yet. They've done that one. They've got one with the Hornblower cast with... Uh, Griffith, Griff, whatever his name is, Ian Griffith, and they've got one with the Band of Brothers lot, and half the cast of that. I mean, she is amazing. So if you like history and you think Alex is lovely, then do listen to them. Historyhack.podbean.com. Right, emails, J.K. Uh, the first one, of course, as ever, befalls to you. Thank you, Richard. Richard Mowbray, dear Dave, Jonathan, and esteemed guest. It's Clayton. Clayton. Forced lockdown, we find ourselves with plenty of time on our hands. So I thought I'd tell you about my Chelsea journey. I believe I became a Chelsea fan in about 1970, as my father bought myself and my two brothers a football kit each. My eldest brother got an Arsenal kit. He's still unfortunately an Arsenal fan and season ticket holder. My youngest got a Tottenham kit, but fell out of love with football at an early age. Phew, no longer, excuse me, as a team, as a team. Uh, has a team. I was bought a West Ham kit, but I believe as this was the year we beat dirty Leeds in the FA Cup, I quickly binned those rags and turned to Chelsea for my football fix. My earliest memories of going to Chelsea were as a 12-year-old travelling on the train from Purley to Victoria with my Chelsea pal and going to his nan's flat round the corner from the station for a pre-game ritual of sausages, beans and chips. Then off to the match to stand in the shed amongst the lads. I was one of the little Herberts on the pitch in 1977 when we beat Hull to get promotion. Feverishly pulling up grass from the penalty box and various parts of the pitch and stuffing it into my pockets to be later decanted into a scrapbook. 
We went to a variety of home games on and off for a few years, but then match days took a back seat to a schoolboy playing career until I was 16 or 17. When I decided, I much preferred the thought of going to Chelsea rather than playing on Saturdays. Plus, being over six foot meant, meant getting a pre-game pint was never usually a problem. During the 80s, following Chelsea was exciting. The team blew hot and cold. <laughs> yes, as usual. And we weren't the most popular club in the land. But I can honestly say I've never looked forward to a Saturday as much as I did back then. <coughs> Out of the door, in time to meet up with one or two pals for the trip to Chelsea in time for a midday meet in the Hand and Flower pub on the King's Road. Never actually getting into the ground for kickoff. The obligatory burger en route at the entrance to the West Stand that had been sitting in a water bath for hours. But boy, that smell of burger and onions was fantastic. Made me rich. I graduated from the outer reaches of the white wall to the middle of the shed then to the benches and finally to the upper right corner of the West Stand to watch the games. Afterwards, it was back to the pub home about 11. Great days. My absolute fondest memories of growing up. Summer away highlights being travelling up on a Ram Chelsea special and subsequent pitch invasions as we took over Blundell Park for the promotion clinching game at Grimsby in 84. The Bradford disaster charity game against Glasgow Rangers was also a great day out. We knew that Rangers fans who outnumbered Chelsea on the day by about three to one were such friendly people and so started the Blues Brothers love-in. Travelling on the early postal train to Manchester to see us beat City away in 89-3-2. That postal train was famous for having the bu buffet car open for beersies. And Man United away in 86-2-1 Dixon double when we had one of our rare wins. Standout memories. I went home and away for about five years until in 1989 I moved to New Zealand to start a new life. A complete lack of research then revealed I'd moved to one of the few countries where football wasn't the national game. Watching Chelsea was limited to the odd highlights package and games shown on one of the national channels. And it wasn't until the advent of Sky TV that you were able to watch games, usually at some horrendous time in the early hours. It's a lot easier now. $20 gets you every PL game live and Sky provides you with all the FA Cup and European action. I always try to tie in a return to Blighty with the football season and I managed to get to a fair few big games, including the 1997 FA Cup final where I was sat in the United end and spent most of the first half wondering how I would get out alive if Chelsea scored. In 2002 against Arsenal in Cardiff, where we were reduced to drinking the various leftovers from the pre-game piss-up in the ground as they closed the bar before half-time, a very messy day. And finally, and most depressingly, the 2017 final again against the Arse, when we were so confident we would win. I thought I was a curse on Chelsea winning finals that I went to until I broke my duck gloriously by being in attendance on that remarkable night in Munich. I've also managed a few other bucket list sporting moments since being in New Zealand. I've seen the British Lions in New Zealand and Australia, an Ashes game in Brisbane, and the Rugby World Cup final in Sydney in 2003 when we beat Australia. I've also managed to get to games at the World Cups in France 98 and Germany in 2006. I've been back multiple times and thanks to some old Chelsea pals, I can usually get a great seat, usually in the Matthew Harding middle right behind the goal. The halftime bun fight for a shite pint of Tiger or Singer is always a bit of fun. Unfortunately, most of the old pubs in and around the bridge have disappeared 
I have to be prepared to go to West Brompton or Putney stroke Fulham if I want to get in a pub for a pre-game bevy or two where I'm not queuing for hours. You should go to the cock, shouldn't you? Unfortunately, mm. I managed to miss the glory years of Roman's takeover and witnessing firsthand us winning all the silverware that has followed. followed. When they sing, where were you when you were shit? I stick my hand up proudly. Yes, we were shit at times, but I honestly wouldn't trade those years. I went, I went back in the 80s for witnessing anything else that has followed. Whilst the atmosphere at the games back then was generally pretty piss poor, that was mainly due to the configuration of the ground and the openness of the elements. However, the buzz of the big games was something to behold, as they were few and far between. I really have no time for the JCLs, the Johnny Comes Latelys, that frequent social media and the Twitter airwaves, demanding success at all costs. I'm over the moon that Frank is in charge, and I couldn't care less about his success or failure. He's a true Chelsea legend, and the fact he's got a core of English and dedicated Chelsea coaches amongst his backroom staff, as well as the emergence of the youth, is what it's all about in my book. I loved Jose and thought he was shortchanged the first time round, and Antonio wasn't given the, given the support his transformation of that team into title winners deserved. I would debate that with you. It may well be true that Frank goes the same way, as there's nothing, nothing so certain that he will be sacked one day. It's all hope that the day is a long way off. As I'm not a big devourer of social media and podcasts, I only stumbled across the fan cast a couple of years ago. I was originally put onto the Chelsea podcast, which I would listen to whilst walking my aged hound every night. However, I found it overly sanitised and lacking any real bite and humour. I must have been sacked, by then. I then discovered, <laughs> I then discovered the legend... <laughs> Discover the legendary Stamford Chidge via a talk sport appearance on the sports bar. That's very good. From mm. then on, I've been an avid listener of the fan cast. Greatly enjoy every show. Thank you. Big ups for making it to 500 shows. It's great entertainment. And whilst it's not pretending to be everything to everybody, it provides an essential balance, in my op opinion, between truth and fiction. Like most true Chelsea fans, I take great delight in seeing the Spuds prop up their season year in, year out. And the thought of Liverpool having their Premier League title win in Christ knows how long, diluted to an afterthought by the potential cancelling of the season, brings me great joy, if any could be found at this time. I've managed to carve out a career in football in New Zealand by owning a football shop selling kit and equipment which led me a couple of years ago to be introduced to the legend that is Marco Worrell on a visit back home. I went round to his house to meet him. Must be said his bog is a thing of beauty. <laughs> <laughs> My company proudly sponsors... We must ask him about his bog. We must, My company we must. proudly sponsors and supports our one professional football team in New Zealand, the Wellington Phoenix, who play in the Australian A-Leg. A-Leg, A-League. This season in our squad, our captain is Stephen Taylor, ex-Newcastle United. Up front is Gary Hooper, ex-Norwich, Sheffield Wednesday and Celtic. They're good players. And providing the creativity is a certain Ulysses de Villa, a Mexican who Chelsea signed on a five-year contract back in 2011, but before loaning him straight back out, never to be seen again. I don't even remember him. No, not all. He was I. what you would call a diminutive attacking midfielder with two great feet and an eye for goal. He'll probably win our Player of the Year, and everyone connected with the club hopes he's back again next season. 
if there is a next season. Anyway, Richard, anyway, that's my Chelsea story. Thanks for letting me tell it. It's fabulous. Most of all, thanks for the entertainment. Keep up the great work you do. It's loved and appreciated worldwide. And we appreciate that, that don't we, Chips? Once, mm. once I manage to get back again for a game at the bridge, I may try the Cock Tavern. Yes! See one or two of you for a pre-game pint. You may not see me because I'll be off in the, uh, uh, in the East End. Um, before you ever go back, we've been talking about it. All the very best, Richard Mowbray, Wellington, New Zealand. Well done, Richard. Fine mail. Fine, fine mail. Very yeah. good. Very what good. A... Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. I mean, you know, a, a work of art. You know, a, a great uh, a history of your life there watching Chelsea. Fantastic. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant email, wasn't it? I, I'm, I'm astonished and delighted that he found us through me being on, yeah. on the sports yeah, bar. Yeah, very impressive. You must, they must have said of the Chelsea fan cast. Yeah, they're very good, actually. Uh, they've been very good to me and us generally, actually. We've all had a bit of a, a, a go at that, haven't we? The other thing I thought was really interesting, actually, makes that point about the <clears throat> the atmosphere back in the old old days when, you know, the kind of seasons that we were talking about on the 50 years of Chelsea. Yes, and, yes. you know, the, the it, it's the atmosphere. I mean, I know it's really odd, isn't it? Because on days when I didn't go and I used to live down there in the 80s, because I didn't go every week then, but... I'd be like wandering up North End Road doing a bit of shopping or finding a pub to drink in and you could hear Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea as loud as day. All right. But the reality is that in in a sense is the point because the atmosphere in the ground is nothing like it is now because it was so open. So the noise used to disappear up Fulham Road or North End Road. Uh, and, and the players, if you talk to some of those old players, they say, well, you know, we know you were great because we, we could hear you when we went away. But actually it was a really crap ground for atmosphere because it it just used to dissipate inevitably they were so far away and also the the shed was just a little strip wasn't it at the top there. yeah and uh, and there were even the that was a bizarre stand to make wasn't it that west stand that they uh, it was so ordinary in the very beginning yeah. and then and 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 not extending the roof over the benches i sat on the benches a lot 50p um uh, I remember I saw Aussie's volleyed goal against Arsenal uh, on the benches. Um, I just remember from that angle, it was him, him volleying, you know, that one that he's got much praise for beating Bob Wilson. Um, uh, must have been one, 73, 72. I was going to say, that's next week. Next week, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, they, there was so much mismanagement, wasn't they? We're going to get onto that. But, we will indeed. Yeah. Anyway, Richard, brilliant email. So lovely to hear from you and uh, fascinating hearing your memories. And it'll be lovely to meet you up, up, up for, you for a pint if and when football comes back. Uh, we look forward to that. Uh, right, now this is an email that uh, what kind of I didn't quite get in time for last week from, from somebody very close to my heart. It's a lovely bloke called James Copper who uh, we got to know very much in the early days of doing the fan cast and... Uh, I met him a few times in the Malt, Malt House, I think, is when I met James. Uh, and also, I know he used to do a lot of aways with, uh, and Darren used to meet up with him a lot. He's an absolutely lovely, delightful boy. I, 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 I don't know whether he mentions it in the email, but uh, he wrote a letter to JT when JT was getting hammered by the press for everything. And JT wrote back to him with a pair of signed boots. And J- uh, James very kindly sent me the photograph and I, I got it put in CFC UK. But James is a lovely bloke. And he says, <clears throat> Dear Chidge, Jonathan and the rest of the team, I missed last week's email deadline to wish you many congratulations for reaching the extraordinary feat of 500 podcasts as I was mulling over my feelings and, and how to put it into words. 
I'm still struggling in a way. Its impact on me is giant. I did write and tell you maybe six years ago, but it's maybe time to refresh you as to what it means to myself and others like me. So congratulations on 501 shows. Let's start at the beginning. I was born in Hammersmith in 1979 to an English mother and a rude hullet worshipping Dutch father, and thus my fate was sealed. My first Chelsea shirt was the classic yellow 1984 away shirt. Despite my parents being landlords of the King George round the corner from Twickenham, I wasn't interested in rugby and my blood was blue. As it was, my parents moved to Coventry and then we ended up north with real people and real emotions. I now live in Scarborough near York, surrounded by Leeds, Liverpool and Man United tossers. I mean supporters. <laughs> I got abuse on my first day of my new primary school by a parent saying, a Chelsea supporter, I don't like you, to when, as an adult, taking my son to an under-11s team where one parent got irrationally angry at me for being a Chelsea supporter, claiming I was a glory hunter. When I explained where I was from and how long I've supported them and how far I've travelled across Europe to watch them, he stated I should have supported Fulham instead. I explained I was there when we were shit and my local was Chelsea and in the end the only way I got him to quieten down was when I told him I can show you how proper Chelsea I am outside the gates right now if you want to which he looked sheepishly at my 6 foot 3 inch frame and scars and backed off. As you can tell it can be quite lonely being a Chelsea supporter up here. When my work sent me to university one day a week in Leeds, I was in the library with my walking stick, wearing my Chelsea fancast t-shirt, and a security guard came over to me and had a quiet word, asking me if I was aware of the rivalry between Leeds and Chelsea, and advised me it wasn't safe to walk around with that t-shirt on, with genuine concern. I mean, I, I can understand why walking around with a Chelsea fancast t-shirt would be deemed as offensive, <laughs> definitely. Um, but there we go. After that, I wore a different Chelsea shirt each week. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> Before I became ill, I was doing pretty well on the music circuit under my rap name, racking up around half a million plays on streaming services such as MySpace while being completely unsigned and was uh, was able to tour across the states and beyond. I ended up getting picked up by an LA-based management company who go who got interest from a few big labels, but despite all this, it was not to be. However, from those days doing a couple of interviews on them, I discovered podcasts and was hooked. As you know, I lucked out in searching for Chelsea podcasts from the very beginning of the Chelsea fancast and I've listened to every single episode. I wonder how many hours that is. Good God, that's a horrible thought. If I average each show to just two hours, then it's 41 days worth. Wow. So the reality is much more and not one hour has been a second wasted. As you know, 10 years ago I became ill. I had hypermobility, but after getting septis, I developed an autoimmune illness, and then from and then from that, I've now developed fibromyalgia, where my nerve endings register the most excruciating pain, even when there is no reason for it. It's a horrible uh, thing, James, and as you know, I have huge sympathy for you. I don't know pain like this existed before this experience, where you can literally watch your entire body muscles spasm. It also causes chronic fatigue, and, and some days I can hardly move. I still work full-time and live at home with my son, who is autistic, and my daughter, who has learning difficulties. I love them as much as any parent possibly can, but life can be tough. I'm not after sympathy. Sorry, I take it back, James. I'm a hard, stubborn sod, and that's true, and don't let it win. Uh, and there are those far more worse off than me. But it highlights what this show is and means. Chelsea, for me, is something I look forward to with relish every single week. And as I said all those years ago, and it's as true now as it was then, the, F the Chelsea fancast has been a significant bright life in my life. There have been weeks where your show brought me o my only laughter and moments of absolute joy. Your nostalgia has brought tears to my eyes. Your chats make me feel like I'm still part of a Chelsea family which goes beyond 
uh, just that sense of belonging because you've also shown me real kindness too over the years uh, from helping my girlfriend get me a ticket for my birthday against Spurs thank you Mark and Chidge to Mr Worrell sending me a Gate 17 book after my first letter even your timing is impeccable I got news someone close to me died and that day I listened to the show and won a competition. So without knowing it, you did it again and I broke down in happy tears. You're genuine, honest, brilliant, wonderful people and the fan cast means the absolute world to me. Chidge and Jonathan, who I listen to every week, feel like family. They are that familiar and, as with all your regular guests, it's that warmth and love for this team and your listeners and your friendship for each other that creates something that is very difficult to manufacture and replicate. Which is why I'm, I hope you. I'm, are you timing your coughs when I pause, or am I timing my pauses for when you I'm cough? Timing my coughs in the holes. You're very professional. Anyway, where was I? Uh, that's why the fan cast shines so brightly and is probably one of the best Chelsea. No sports. No scratch that. It's why it's the best podcast available. Full stop. I'm sad that I had an opportunity to come on the benches once after the hilarious Dazza Mantle invited me after a match, but I looked at my then one-year-old and six-year-old and six-and-a-half-hour drive home and thought my my then-wife would have killed me if I said yes and sadly had to turn it down. James, I was very sorry not to see you, but, mate, I think in those circumstances I can completely understand that. Uh, Before I go, I just want to reminisce some of the subjects that came up over and over again in, in the past episodes. Chidge and Guess all those years ago would ruminate about the type of men uh, Terry and Lampard are and how significant, substantial and rare their character and leadership qualities that make them. You would not only say things such as how much you would love it if they would one day end up managing Chelsea, you actually repeatedly predicted that we would for certain see one of the two as a manager in the dugout of the bridge. God, if only I could remember that. I was like bloody mystic Meg. Um... You also, for years, repeatedly confabulated that if this continually winning Youth Academy products got some consistent game time, they had enough quality to stay on the side if only they would get a chance. Past all the banter and humour, I don't think you all give yourself enough credit for your wisdom as well. Well, I'm beginning to realise that now, James. I work with troubled young people, and the debate while maintaining respect for each other on the show is also a lesson in itself. Oh, there we go. May I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the hours of entertainment gaining knowledge and thought, laughter, joy, and a massive sense of belonging you have given me, uh, as given me, us, all of us who listen over the years. My gratitude to you is deep. I've met some very famous people over my lifetime, but Kiddo and Chidge would be on my list of people I would want on my dream dinner party. Well, we'll be there. We'll do anything for a free meal, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James, that's really lovely. Um, where was I? Uh, I don't care if this is coming off making me look like a soppy sod. <laughs> I want to thank you all, from those at the beginning to now, for all the hours and hours of the best possible entertainment you've given. Thank you. Just a side note. Uh, I wanted to say, rest in peace, the cat. I happened to meet him one day when I wasn't particularly good, and the man noticed and came over to talk to me for a good ten minutes, and I only left because I felt bad taking up his time. What a gen- a lovely, genuine bloke and a true legend. Hear, hear, and amen to that. Uh, let's hope I'm writing again for the thousandth show. Stay safe, everyone. Much love to you all. James Copper. Wow. I, I mean, to, to say I feel humbled by reading it is, a, is an understatement. Brilliant, James, I'm gonna. I can't remember your address, um, but I'll ping you an email back uh, when I get a moment this week because I've got a little special something for you, which I need to send to you in the post. So uh, I'm, I will keep keep you posted on that. Uh, glad to hear you're still doing okay. I know the illness is a real bastard, but you fight it with tremendous humility and courage. So uh, keep safe. good on keep you, mate. Keep safe. Yeah, keep this illness, really, really. Yeah. 
Totally right. Yeah, you keep safe, mate. He's an absolutely James is an absolutely. T- he's one, I mean, I, I I know he's blown smoke up our ass for the last ten minutes, but I'm going to blow some up his now. We've met a lot of people doing this show, and he is he is one of the nicest chaps that I've met through doing this. He's an absolute trooper. He really is lovely bloke. Yeah. Enough. Well done, James. Thank you, mate. Great stuff. Last mail, Steve at Flymo One Hundred. Hi, Chitch. Want to say congrats on number five hundred? Really gutted. I missed it last night. I was trying to log in whilst walking the dog. Oh, is that, is that a euphemism? Yeah, that's what I was worried about. But alas, technology let me down. What could it be, Chidge, walking the dog? Anyway, thanks for the great shows over the years. They've made me laugh, feel aggrieved all over again from a bad result or ref's decision. But the platform has enabled me to feel that joy and pain with fellow supporters. Keep up the good work. Keep the blue flag flying high up the Chels, Steve. Sweet to the point and lovely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, Steve, obviously, we, we talked to a lot on Twitter. He was in here earlier on, I know it was, because I saw, saw him in there. I don't know if he's managed to hang out for the entire two and a half hours that we've been waffling on. But there you go. Always lovely to hear from Steve. Glad you enjoyed it. Right. That is all we've got time for this week. <clears throat> we'll be back next Monday when Jonathan and I will be joined by Tim Rolls, author of Diamonds, uh, Diamonds Dynamos and Devils and Stamford Bridges Falling Down, as well as being a former Chelsea Supporters Trust chairman, CFC UK writer and a great friend of ours. Uh, who better to chew the fat over the latest Chelsea news and to look back at the 1972-73 season in our 50 Years of Chelsea series? Now, before that, on Friday, we've got another edition of uh, My Chelsea with Dean Mears this week, uh, and uh, that'll be worth a listen. D- Dean's up to, up, you know, he's updated it it's we're talking 90s and early 2000s with dean so that's fun uh, of course i could remember that less than i can remember the stuff that i wasn't at in the early 70s for some bizarre reason but there you go uh now uh, the chelsea fancast as you know is available as a podcast on chelseafancast.com acast apple soundcloud and spotify as well as other podcast distributors. Uh, Talking of which, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently announce here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts, download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Uh, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Clayton at Goalie59, Dean at Dean Mears, Marco at Gate17Marco, and uh, Joe at Joe Tweedy, uh, Tony at Grocer Jack UK, Martin at Martin Wickham, Dan at DanSilv73, Liam at Liam underscore Toomey, and of course Alex at CFCGWLB, and, uh, uh, and, and of course I should mention Jonathan Ellis at Clitheroe Blue who writes lots of our stuff on the website uh, now don't forget as well as looking at the website and our Twitter feeds and all of that you can also uh, check out uh, ChelseaFanCast.com by the way you can also check out our Instagram and Facebook accounts at Chelsea Fancast. that is it it's monster 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 show isn't it Jonathan tonight yeah. we, we, we waffled on for England didn't but we good though enjoyable and informative and yeah I thought the first yeah. first half was was uh, was quite pertinent as well. Actually, I thought we were very sensible, we were. weren't we? I was taken aback by no. my own sensibility. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, there's serious things going on, yeah. mate. That's the yeah. thing. You know, sometimes we have to be a bit serious. Yeah. I have to say, yeah, sorry, say, yeah. I'm, I, no, no, I, I'm absolutely loving this 50 years of Chelsea. I mean, it's a, I mean, I said it before. What a privilege to 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 sit and talk to people like you and Clayton next week, Tim, who were actually at these games. Tim, you could just, we could, you and I could just. Sneak off. Just, 
He could say, say, he could save himself, you know, a bit of a Wi-Fi bill and just read his yeah, book for an indeed, hour or two. Absolutely, just do that. Well, well, read we nick everything from I'll it anyway. It well, I don't mm. think we nick it. What happens is, is he he pushes us towards rem- remembering, because mm. uh, uh, I've forgotten all about the Orient game and the wall falling down. But that was the major thing for me of how, and also that, that terrible thing of watching Chelsea of uh, of uh, I suppose we're all football fans when you're better than the opposition and you suddenly start playing as you should have played for the whole of the game and you're one nil down and you can't score and the opposition end up beating you when they shouldn't have beaten you because you were you were much better than them and so or even the other thing was you're you're as good as them or better than them and you just still can't get that goal that you wanted it's that thing of of being just frustrated and then ultimately hurt by it all the amount of hurt one has watching one's football club oh god but uh, this is why I'm finding this so hard whilst remembering it is the the awfulness. And I said that about even in the 60s being little. But by the way, I've found some footage of me getting out of the ground with my father, my father's car with some mates and going up to the shed with my rattle and my blue tracksuit and my little blue and white hat. I was eight. And uh, um, uh, I'm surprised somebody didn't eject me or hit me on the head I look such a dick but that was um, I was eight so uh, I must mm. I'll put little a couple of stills up on Twitter mm. no do that uh, a new take on me at 20 that's for sure yeah me at me 12 years less than 20 yeah um, just a precursor to, to next week's uh, 50 years of Chelsea the title of the Tim's chapter for that year is three sides team slides yeah, we'll know what that's all about. She'll leave you with that. And uh, we did indeed slide down the league. That was the start of the decline. All right, we got to go. What an epic show tonight. Jonathan, as always, you're an absolute trooper. Delightful to spend my Monday evenings with you, as ever. Joy, joy, as always. Lovely. And we will reconvene next week, my friend. Anyway, uh, you lot out there, Malik Mixler, of course, brilliant tonight, as always. Sorry, I haven't. I've been so much, so much going on, and my microphone's right in the way of your Mixler. I'm moving my mic again after tonight. And I will converse with you more effectively next week. But as ever, thank I do read your comments. If I don't read them out, I still read them. So lovely to see you all in here as ever. Now, that's it. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chill. Yeah, Up the chill! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.